Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the TetraCast. This is RPG Site's weekly podcast where we get the site staff together to talk about our favorite genre of video games. My name is Brian Vitale, and I believe I have everyone here this week that was also present on the podcast last week. Let's go through them. Uh, joining us once again is Colin Black. You know, I really wanted to have it be another year between podcasts, but, you know, they they begged, so I came. Yeah, yeah, we, we enjoy your presence too much, so now you're stuck. No, no well, now oh. I feel bad for my joke. Uh, now we have Josh Torres. Happy birthday, Chow Min Moon. Happy belated birthday, Babylon's Fall. Yeah, oh, God, the worst game of all birthday. time to release in my next to my birthday. Isn't this great? That's the, it's the biggest release of the week. Massive W. Happy birthday. Uh, you heard his voice just now. That's Chow Min Wu. We also have Adam Vitali. It's also, he doesn't jump on the podcast like ever, but it's also like CD's birthday like two days ago. Happy, happy birthday, birthday Alex Seedhouse. Oh, fuck. Yeah. I got to wish him a happy birthday. Wow, it's just yeah. everyone's birthday. I- Alex Seedhouse is a very close friend of ours on RPG site. He's a writer for and founder of Nintendo Insider. I guess yesterday was his birthday. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. Uh, we're recording this on a uh, Saturday. If you want to actually line up these birthdays and be creepy about it. And anyway, I'll, tell you, uh, I'll tell you a secret. A lot of our staff is born in March for some reason. Wait, are you, okay. are you talking that uh, CD has the same birthday as Babylon's fall? Like the real release date of Babylon? Babylon, <laughs> what an honor! Oh, uh, and even uh, Andrea's birthday is somewhere in March too. So oh, <laughs> we're really? all born in March. Yeah, a lot of March babies. And finally, we have James Galizio. Was he born in March? I don't know. I don't think so. I, I was born in January. Oh, Must happy for late birthday! Year. Two months late. Sorry, James. So obviously it's been another busy week for RPGs. It is that busy time of year that we've kind of been looking forward to for a while. Uh, it is the time of year where and then Elden Ring happened. I know we've talked about Elden Ring a few times on the podcast because we did the review kind of issue of the podcast two weeks ago. And then last week we had the uh, the first time that a lot of the other people have been able to play it upon release. So I'm certain that we'll have some time earmarked for more Elden Ring discussion later in this podcast. We'll probably we'll try to keep it spoiler light we'll talk about like early game mechanics maybe some early area bosses won't go won't go deep off the deep end into like spoiler territory in terms of how the game ends or what the endings look like or the later areas but uh we also had a a new release for this week in the rpg space one that was actually voted our most anticipated for the year somehow uh do you know what that was avalon's fall (laughs) Babylon's Fall, everybody. Let's go, Babylon fans. Let's go! Let's go right. break free Babylon's Fall. So it the answer was not Babylon's Fall, but that game did release yesterday, and we did not get, uh, despite, a- Adam, correct me if I'm wrong, but despite asking for it, we did not get early access. No, and I don't think a lot of places did. I've, I've seen more reviews pop even. up crazy recently, but they did not give out a lot of code for it. Now, obviously... Getting early access is not a requisite. Plenty of us across, you know, the staff here have written reviews or done, you know, coverage of games that we just purchased and played ourselves. But that has not happened for Babylon's Fall, at least not yet. Doesn't mean it won't. Uh, but the game that actually released this week that was our most anticipated was, and it kind of surprised me to realize that that was the case, is Triangle Strategy, which I kind of knew was releasing in March. And it's like, oh, yeah, it's already March somehow. And oh, yeah, that game is out. Uh, So we did put up a review on the site that was written by Colin Black. That is why we wrangled him into showing up on this podcast again. 
and I sandwich do know that- in mouth just ripped me off my couch. It was quite <laughs> funny. Yeah, all of a sudden we just uh, inundate them with with notifications like, "Hey, Cullen, you should join the podcast." Uh, and I know that Josh has also been playing it for at least a little bit, and I, I think other of us have had and expressed interest in triangle strategy, but it is just in the uh, in the wake of Elden Ring, and that can be difficult. And I know I want to make time for it. I know that Adam, or I think I know that Adam wants to make time for it. But waiting we for at least PC want... version. All right, that's what you were waiting for, because just, just wait six months, and it'll show up on PC for some reason, and then it'll show up on PlayStation, and, or on Xbox, and then never on PlayStation. It'll just randomly show up on Game Pass one day. Here it is. All right, so Having triangle strategy. We'll, we'll just we'll just dive right in. So I played the initial demo, or was it even called a demo? It was like the I don't want to say stress test. It was a thing from like a year ago where you played like chapter six and seven. I think and it then, was called a demo. Was it the debut demo? I, I forget the name. I'm pretty sure it was called a demo. But then there was a more recent demo that was chapters what one through three that actually carried progress. Yeah, the prologue demo. Right, uh, but now the game's fully released. And I guess I'll just hand it off to Colin to start out uh, because you were the one that obviously wrote up the review for us. So, Colin, I guess triangle strategy. I don't know what you should start with. Like, what are you someone who All has right. played a lot of the strategy RPGs that this game is sort of built triangle in the image strategy? Of? Good. That's All right. it. <laughs> <All right. laughs> but. but but uh no so i i'm a i like to call myself like a casual enthusiast when it comes to these kind of games i really love like final fantasy tactics i got to the last chapter and i didn't beat it uh big fan of tactics ogre couldn't get past the first chapter uh like <laughs> I, love I'm, I like there. i like strategy games i like strategy games a lot uh it's just hard for them to really like grab me entirely like the gameplay everything has to be firing off the all like you know same cylinders everything has to just work for me um so i knew what this was kind of trying to ape off of uh and like i was familiar with it i know a lot of people are saying like oh don't compare it to final fantasy tactics but i feel like they're inviting the comparison like i, I don't know I mean, uh, when square enix hasn't made a strategy game like this in like 10 years or more and it's just like come on yeah it's inviting the comparison like they're literally trying to do that like i don't know like josh how much have you played in about 10 hours so far okay. so, so i've I, i'm basically up to the point where that initial demo what that brian played but like i wasn't expecting that the lead up to that time in that demo would be so long and like i, th- I feel like the the first impressions of this game will really turn off a lot of like people who want gameplay out of it at first because it takes a long time to actually get to like the game itself like within like the first three to four hours i want to say only did like maybe three two to three battles and one of them was obviously the tutorial battle at the very beginning and then but there's just a lot of story set up and like it's very long-winded about the way like it's it sets itself up because obviously there's these three nations there are at peace, and then they have to like give an excuse of like the events that led up to like why they're warring each other again, and that and that they spend a lot of time like okay, there's a state of the world, everyone's happy, and then like you have to wait for a certain like event early on in the game to like spark off that like oh okay, they're at conflict again. Yeah, well, I've heard a lot of the previews or like not not previews. I haven't I've read Colin's review, but I haven't read like some like watched streamers or whatever. So and I've, I've heard some some. 
I've heard some people saying that like the ratio of dialogue to battles is like 90 to 10. Is that like really true or are people exaggerating? Um, I'd say generously 80 to 20. Jesus. But that's being I, generous. It is I saw very one review a lot of dialogue. 85 to 15. Oh, so it's somewhere between. So we got the boundaries. Yeah. The, uh, the so you're telling me, have... man. Go ahead, Joe. I was going to say, so you're telling me this is the golden sun of stagy RPGs where people just ramble all day for the most You have to part. add an emoji after every sentence. It wants to be like golden sun. <laughs> Like now we were comparing Five Fantasy Tactics. How about how we compared it's, and like, it's it's like I don't really like you know I I I like story in games so I don't really mind like you know it having a lot of story cutscenes and like it will highly depend like this game lives and dies by like are you like are you okay? invested in the story yeah are you are invested in the story are you invested in the characters and what's what's happening because if like if it doesn't like if you're not interested in that then like this will this game will feel like a drag if you're not into that. It's one of those things that you can certainly skip the story and just get to the battles, but, but it, it, it feels like a means to an end uh, at a certain yeah, point. Yeah, th- this is one of those games where it's like, if you are just looking to skip straight into battles, I, I feel like you should play a different strategy game. Like, i you not saying that you can't play it if you don't experience the story, because I don't think the story is perfect, but this is really, the story was, they focused a lot on the story. And they're putting a lot of weight on your enjoyment in the story, even if the mechanics themselves are very strong. But one of the problems, and I wasn't able to talk about this in my review, even though I don't really think it's a spoiler, it's more of a mechanic thing. There, This is trying to do a lot of like tactics and tactics ogre, but in tactics ogre, they also did like a really big branching narrative, but you had a flowchart you can jump around node events to to kind of make different choices and it helped a lot in uh, the PSP version, of course, before someone corrects me, I know one of you guys was thinking about it, um, but like you could jump around and then make things easier, but yeah, the world triangle system st- is great. And yeah, you know. triangle strategy does not have that. If you want to go through again and make different choices, you either have to save a lot and reload old saves or, play through the entire game again. Now, in Part terms of the me, story, I, in terms of the story bit, I just want to like clarify. Um, so I haven't played the game, but I like read Polygon's review and Polygon is basically saying like, it's not necessarily the number or length of cutscenes That's necessarily the problem inherently. It's more that they felt it was just like extraneous kind of like going way too much into the exposition side of things or just like beating it over your head in terms of, this is what's going on and this is what's happening. And like, not their, their words, like not trusting the player to kind of like understand what's happening. So they kind of have to like, like over explain it. And then another review I read also like kind of more jokingly called it, oops, all exposition. And that's the part that kind of uh, concerns me a little bit. Is it, it just like, it just like maybe I don't know. Does it like repeat itself? Does it? Does I don't it just, really, I, I don't really understand like the, the narrator in this game is is I don't know why there's a narrator in this game. To be no, honest. there should then, be because, because the the all the narrator really does at this point is like a cut, a story cutscene plays out, and right after that story cutscene, it goes to the uh, the overview map. map, and then like and then the narrator basically like gives like uh, a Sparks Notes version of what happened in the story scene. It's like it's okay. You could like the. Here's people are supposed to be like, a, you know, yeah, you're the, people should have been paying attention to what happened in that cutscene. You don't have to like reiterate what the, happened in that cutscene in two to three sentences. You know, it's it, it just happened. It's not like a flashback or anything. You know, so it's 
it it is very long-winded in that aspect, and uh, that's why I I wonder what this game looks like and is more structured if it didn't have a narrator in the first place. So I'm not like against long cutscenes or even a lot of dialogue, but I I have to be like compelled by it. And if it's just like here is the same three plot beats and one like thematic element repeated four times before you get to the next chapter, I could see that really getting like long in the tooth, and you're just like, oh, let me play. I never I've, felt it got repetitive but i can definitely see why some people might think it's long-winded uh especially like i never thought the game got too expository besides the narrator i thought that was again unnecessary uh but it's it's really just that there's so much and if you really get invested in this game and you're like playing a whole ton like right away that story is gonna burn you out because you're just like i just want to play the game uh, that's how All I right. found in the first like four hours of the game, like ever I kind of had to like pace myself because like I just wanted like you know get to the meat of it, but there's a lot of like build up to it. I'm like okay. All right, okay, you know, I I wasn't just I wasn't skipping anything because I I really wanted like you know try to get into the story and like it's fine so far from from where I'm at and finally gives context to that first initial demo, so you kind of get a better sense of like oh okay these are the characters these are the characters of the other nations and you kind of get you know perspectives on like light perspectives on like you know everyone essentially on what's happening with the situation and that's that's neat but uh it, it there there is a there's a certain point where i wish it was a bit more, more poignant in uh, in certain aspects uh, yeah especially with that build up because you, you don't have to like repeat that like yes there was a war between salt and iron this nation uh has iron resources this uh, this nation has salt resources and they like reiterate that at least like four to five times uh at, like within the first few hours it's like i, I get it <laughs> it's okay I, i'm i could connect these dots like i don't think uh having too much exposition is a problem the problem is you ramble on to re repeated topics like as a friend of mine mentioned there is like this very part the dialogue because this kind of sound like hey you're kind of brave it's like oh wait i am sort of brave and it just kind of repeats it on for like 10 minutes or something that's how she explained it it was sound like very bad i, I think that the, the other thing that i have uh an issue with it's like it's very not subtle at all about like who is like a bad person and who is a good person in this game like the character designs kind of just like spoil everything of like there's no there's no subtlety behind these characters rolling like, mustache we, evil yeah yeah you just see like their characters like, like oh this person must be a douchebag this person must be kanaka <laughs> conniving son of a bitch this, this person, person is pretty cold. yeah <laughs> you know so, yeah must not be bad the the yeah so and with that as well, that kind of goes into the morality stuff I was talking about in my review, where I think the game thinks it's smarter than it is, where it's trying to bring up these like deep philosophical like moral dilemmas, and it's like, oh, now human rights might be cool, but what if we could get an edge in the battle? It's like, that's not a choice. Maybe slavery is good. <laughs> maybe slavery is, you know, maybe that's a necessary evil. It's like... No, no, it's not. And, it, and don't like, they I, don't they have it where it's like, um, based on your review, I was kind of so I wrote a pretty glowing, honestly, preview based on the chapter six and seven demo, because I thought it was just really cool that based on the choice that you made in chapter six, you go to a completely different chapter seven, and I just thought the idea of that was pretty profound. But the two things that you've mentioned kind of damper my excitement a bit. The fact that a 
there's no easy or convenient way to like check out all the different permutations. I have to like know where the branches are and like make deliberate saves and be like, all right, here's my chapter six branching point or whatever. So and you'll then, always know about branches because of the, every voting set, like, um, like the, the only way the story branches is during the voting sections. So if you mm -hmm. save before there, you're good. But, um, it, and so the weirdest thing, kind of like circling back a little bit, there is a flow chart. You can't use it in the way you'd want to, oh. though. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, it's hidden in a menu. You you probably, I only found out about it after I finished my first playthrough when I went back and I was like, oh, War Chronicle, what's this? This looks new. And I got a tutorial of it and I was going through and I was like, oh, no. I, I, I looked at War Chronicle at the very beginning. It's like, oh, it's supposed to be like a summary of events that happened. Like, I didn't know there was going to be a flowchart in it. But, yeah, but, there's, but there's the, a flowchart. But even but even then you can't yeah you can't interact with it then it's like okay well thanks What's for the point and yeah like like you mentioned like the branch like the branching thing is probably not going to be as like as robust as you wanted to because it's only going to be like oh it's a different chapter for this chapter like at the very beginning like you have the like when the nations are still at peace uh, the nations being like Glenbrook, Hyzanti, and Ace, Ace Frost or whatever and like uh, there, there's this festival that happened to like uh, kind of have the nations meet up about you know the incoming era of peace and like you know there's this new mine happening uh mine operation in glenbrook and everyone's kind of taking part in it and you know because whatever whatever the fight is in it would be shared among like all of them so um you know as a sign of peace like it, it kind of gives you your like the tutorial on the scales of conviction on like how this mechanic works and uh you can uh either visit hyzanti or ace frost at the very beginning and um you kind of you know Try to convince everyone, like, hey, we should go here or go to the other nation. And, you know, the much of what you saw at the initial demo of, like, you can use, like, uh, persuasion on the people who don't, like, agree with you. And, like, any keywords that you pick up, like, during, like, interacting with NPCs at a, at a prior story cutscenes, they can be unlocked in there. And then they maybe that, you know, uh, dialogue. That's right, everyone. Them. Manipulation is a mechanic in triangle strategy. <laughs> Yeah, so you know, and then everyone will get to vote on where you go, and then so you know, I went to Hyzant, uh, but you know, you could have gone to the other uh, nation. But e either either way, whatever happens there, obviously you'll have different events playing out, and whatever so, like battles will happen. It so like, so guess what? What I don't know if you know this already. That doesn't matter. Really? I thought I thought I thought if you if you go to Hyzant, I was talking to CD. Uh huh. I went to Hyzant. Okay. CD went to Ace Frost. The okay. back half of the story does not change, to my knowledge. Well, yeah, the, but I mean, like, the, 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 you'll still have like the different like story cutscenes in it, and like, oh a, yeah, a battle there. But like, but, but like, but what happens after? Obviously, like th that doesn't affect like you know Ace Frost invading Lenbrook, and that's not a spoiler oh, no. that happens in the first. No, thing. yeah, that's you know that what this sort of reminds me of. It reminds me of. Uh, tell me if I'm wrong. It sort of reminds me of. Is it what Fire Emblem Six? Where you have like a choice where you can either go like to the north or to the isles, and you change like two chapters or three chapters kind of in the middle of the game, but then it kind of reconverges on itself for the end. Yeah, yeah I think that was it's, yeah. It's it's just yeah. like it's like it's I for, I forget what the numbers are, but it's like chapter fifteen, chapter sixteen, chapter seventeen a, chapter eighteen a, and then chapter nineteen, and then there's a seventeen and eighteen b. It's just like a kind of like an alternate like branch, if you will, but it reconverges quickly. And then, like, the, Sacred Stones that's what it sort of a me thing of. where it's like you have a section in the middle based on which lord you picked or whatever. Yeah, if you pick Erica or Ephraim, right. And, like, 
But one of the weird things about the structure of the story is being as vague as possible, you need to go back to Hyzant later. And that seems like something that would only have worked if you went there at the beginning. Because in the Hyzant story, you're like familiarizing uh, for familiarizing yourself with the characters. You're like getting to know them. You're creating bonds. And the story's like, I'm pretty sure there's even a thing that's like, hey, choose carefully. This could really change things. But if you go to Ace Frost, the, all the Hyzant stuff later in the game still happens. Mm. So like I, I need to go through a run still where I'm like, where I chose Ace Frost first and trying to see how that could actually change things. But it's it, just like, to be clear, it's Ace Frost, uh, Hyzant choice. We're not like spoiling anything, right? That's a no, it's very, very early. early. Okay. It's literally like, where do you want to go on vacation? Yeah. Okay. So that that's that. Yeah, it's not a big spoiler at all. But that's like it, the it, yeah, first choice. I, yeah, I do. I do wonder like how malleable it gets. Like, because obviously it's not just the, just those. It's obviously like you were saying. There's a morality system, and I forgot the three moralities like utility. Uh, morality liberty, and liberty, and yeah. liberty yeah and then i wonder what exactly that like what that affects in in the end because you like you you choose a choice and like it'll have like the the scale the scale logos uh glow and says oh you know sarah knows convictions have been strengthened and you don't know where to what to what really to what end and then like you know th- there are definitely like tutorial pop-ups that say oh this could affect these like which uh, like so some characters may join you depending on if you go down this route, but it never really surfaces that, and that's fine. But uh, but it re- it 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 makes me wonder how malleable it is because everything kind of feels shallow at the moment. I have now, my do fears. You, do all do you eventually get all the characters, or do you like? It feels like if I if I looked at Josh's final file and Colin's final file, that they would have a completely different roster. They They'd said be, that characters are basically exclusive to certain decisions. So I uh, actually do kind of like that, but I don't know if they I mean, renege on that and be like, at the end, you just get them later or something. Side characters that you get, and I think some side characters only join you depending on your morality system, like whatever your morality values are. But New Game Plus, you can just carry over your whole party. I actually kind of like oh. that. I think. I think I like yeah. the idea of like, all right, you get these characters because you made these choices. But then if you do New Game Plus, you can kind of carry that and eventually yeah. end up with like extra characters that you wouldn't have. Yeah, had Tactics already. Ogre is like that, where like, for example, you can only get Ravnus if you go on the law path, if I remember correctly. But then like if you roll back time and then go on to a chaos path, you can bring Ravnus along. Like doesn't make sense story wise, but she's a unit that you now already have. So the the, the biggest fear I have, and I this is no confirmation. I, I'm not like I just this is just an idea is that the morale like the values it's going to do that SMT4 stuff where you need to have perfect like lined up of everything even to get like a the secret true ending and that that would the funny be thing about th- SMT4 is that like you can if you try being too neutral you can screw yourself out of it because there are certain choices that you have to pick law or chaos and it basically bumps you off neutral. Yeah. You have to become the, like the, the best centrist in the universe to get that ending. And it sucks because it doesn't make, it doesn't actually feel like I actually disagree that in order to get the true neutral ending in SMT four, you kind of have to like be law at some points and chaos at other points. And you kind of have to be like, I I forgot that. Wasn't there, wasn't there a thing about that? If you just take the first dialogue option and everything in SMT four, you, you, that's your, you get, 
into the true neutral ending. Yeah, if you, that's the thing. You have to kind of be like law at some points and chaos at some points, and then it balances each other out. If you try to be like well, ambivalent or neutral, it doesn't work. I well, Adam, I'm talking about ending. a realistic central, not uh, yeah, not the ideal centrist. I'm just saying that SMT's neutrality no, I, route is a yeah, little bit funny. Like, yeah, I, I just, mean, like, go go for it. Basically, I I've only played the demo. But I really hope that Colin's fear is unfounded, even though I can completely see it happening. A game where it's like you make choices and live with the consequences. By the way, if you make these exact choices, you get a better ending. It just seems like at odds with each other. So I, I hope they don't do that. But it seems like it seems like people and developers really like having like this is one thing that I really praise Three Houses for is that it's doesn't have like this is the best option or this is the this is the canon option or this is the option that gives you the extra chapter or whatever this is the muso Where... option yeah yeah <laughs> and then uh yeah hopefully that doesn't end up being like here's the one where everyone's happy at the end uh, i mean i think they're they're hinting that yeah really uh, i'm not surprised but i'm also like rolling my eyes at it yeah you just have to play you just have to pay another 60 dollars and and a totally brand new battle system and everything to get the I can't wait. Ending. It's gonna be so awesome. good. It's gonna be so good. <laughs> but I mean, uh, you know, the n- narrative structure and story, like you know, worries aside, uh, like the actual gameplay. Once you get to it and try to yeah, let's talk about gameplay. Yeah, yeah, it's like it's like it's like Final Fantasy Tactics with a Final Fantasy or with a sorry, Final Fantasy Tactics with a Fire Emblem class system. Is that right? Yeah, it's Fire uh, Fire Emblem uh, class system. Final Fantasy Tactics uh, inspired battles, and then Tactics Ogre Physics. Yeah, I I already have recruited like this optional character, and like his whole gimmick is like he can play traps traps on the ground. Then, I like, talked about him in my review. He's the best. He's the best character in that entire game. Yeah, best as in a really neat character, or best as in this guy is busted. Uh, sure, he's neat. I guess <laughs> I don't remember his character arc. Um, but one of the things that's really cool is that when you recruit party members, like okay, let me back up a little bit. You have a little hub area you can go to where like your little encampment, and you'll talk to a bunch of different people who are like. And when you meet them at first, they'll say blacksmith or uh, bartender or shopkeep. But then as you go on, you do a little character story with them, and then they join you, and then they get a name. So, like, this character who's literally only known as Blacksmith ends up, like, wanting to join you and is, like, names like, uh, I don't know how they pronounce it. It's spelled, it's like Ian's or something. Oh. Yen. It's, it's not like Yon or, it's, but anyway, so the Blacksmith guy, you get him and you're like, oh, okay, dear, what, what, how are they going to, like, what are they going to do with you? His whole gimmick is that he places traps around the map. And one of his traps, I think his main trap, will you put it down and you choose the direction it points at. And if an enemy walks on it, it launches them a couple spaces away. Yeah. And you can use this to either launch them at other enemies. If you get it on like a perch, like um, I used him on a bridge on you know the uh, the bridge from the demo, that really, uh, long one that has like you can fall off it. Yeah. Do you, do you um, launch people off the bridge? Yeah, I, I I was launching people off the bridge, and it was such a great strategy because they'll fall off and get stunned for a couple turns and lose a bunch of health. And he can also like spawn turrets. I can't wait to like get to like get that ability. I'm I'm trying to get him there. 
He's he's slow. He's he has a slow movement speed, but he's one of the most creative and fun SRPG classes I have seen in a very long time. He's pretty baller. He, like and you can definitely up his movement speed like one of his like weapon like enhancement things. It's like you can either do like more jump or more movement speed on him. So you can sort of the you know mitigate some of his issues, but he is he's he's pretty fun. Um and also like, there's just something really funny about like choosing the direction where you fling people towards <laughs> the straps. It just because there's a like, clash damage as well. So like, if you fling them and they and they uh, go into a thing, they'll they'll do clash damage with that unit. And then since you there's this whole mechanic of like you can set the ground like a blaze or like on, on frost and whatnot. So you can set like say set like these um, obstacles on fire. And then set a trap there so that if any people go on there, any enemy troops go on there, you can fling them into the fire instead. Do our classes fixed, or do they? Can you freely pick like three houses style, or how does that work? Uh, classes are set. I actually really enjoy that. I I, I kind of miss. I'm going to sound like I don't know Adam's phrase where he's just like a dinosaur yelling on a meteor. But I actually really like when strategy games have fixed or semi-fixed like class systems where it's like this character is a paladin or whatever, rather than the three houses style where it's like you can have all Myrmidons if you want. I kind of like I'd rather have a chessboard where it's like these are the units you get. You you make do with what you got rather than just like, oh, anyone can be any class. It doesn't matter. They're all yeah, just for flavor. You have all queens. So. Yeah. So I actually do kind of like when you say like this character, like this blacksmith does this thing and he's the only one that does it. Or maybe I don't know if that's true, but I'd rather have that than just have like I, I want a little bit of structure and a little bit of boundaries that you have to work within rather than complete freedom. Because I think when you have too much freedom, it gets a bit boring. Like in Fire Emblem uh, Awakening, you want to make as many characters dark flyers as possible because that class right, is completely the, busted. Yeah, like I'm imagining, like I, it's it's interesting that we're bringing in more Fire Emblem comparisons now and fewer uh, like Final Fantasy Tactics. For imagine playing like the Path of Radiance, Radiant Dawn, and just made everyone Wyvern Knights because those are busted. Rather than <laughs> having like the couple I Wyvern Knights, really cool. Yeah, yeah. Every character is now Har. Uh, so I actually really do in like the fact that the classes are fixed. Does it feel like there's a, a good variety of classes, or kind of like I don't know? There's does... a decent variety. Um, I know there's a couple people that overlap a little bit. Uh, you have like a couple healers, but they're different kinds of healers. Uh, but I'd say that there are, there's a good, there's a decent variety. I, yeah, I, I, I like, for, for example, like mages, like starting out mages, like you'll, you'll definitely have, you know, your uh, fire mage and your ice mage, and then you'll have a mage that's kind of like the jack of all trades where they can like cast like a spell of every element as he levels up, but he like loses like the utility of like, say like the ice mage has like a, a wall of ice the, uh, spell that yeah, he can do. Yep, and then that, but that but the jack of all trades person doesn't uh, have that. Spell, you have a so. weather mage. Oh, that's sick! Actually, I didn't know it's, that. She's oh, yeah, great. yeah. I do, I do, actually, I do remember that from the, the initial demo. That's right. She's really cool. Yeah, you got to get her. I, I like the I like the dude that uh, can steal TP. The that character. Yeah, he's great. good too. Like like, yeah. there's just a whole bunch of fun variety in the class you can make, and the best part about it is. The way the level scaling works is if you have someone you haven't been leveling in ages, you bring them in your party um, on like a really high level map, d them doing just about anything that turn will get them a level until they kind of catch back up. So you don't have to spend 
hours grinding through your like your old group of characters, you could have someone just run, throw like an item, they'll get a level. That's good. It, like I love Tactics Ogre, but like one of its like on in my opinion, few flaws, it's like almost a fatal flaw, is that so in Tactics Ogre you level classes and not characters, if you remember correctly. Yeah. But like when you get a new class in that game, they start at level one and your other characters might be at like level 40. And then it just, you literally have to like, all right, time to set aside, look at my watch, two hours to get my class caught up. Uh, there's a little bit of scaling in that game, but it's still just not. It's, it's not like, tuned well it's, enough it's, to make it's weird. it like, It's just, fun. So it's, that's just, that's one of the tactics over thing. It's like, why is this like this? I love this game, but why? Anyway. Yeah. But like even early on, like I'm just I'm maybe almost ten hours in the game, and I have like maybe thirteen uh, people on my on my group. But there's already a good variety of, uh, uh, with them. Like I I just recruited this woman that is uh it, she's a healer of sorts, but she's more item focused. She's the item healer, so she has like the ability to like like not uh, have greater healing items. Like you know they do more healing, but also she can like toss that healing towards them. So she has like ranged healing. Or she just like fucking hurls it at people. Depending on the game, I've I've really come to like kind of item based classes. Uh, even though I think about that statement and Elden Ring, I like never used items. I know that seems like a really weird comparison, but Elden Ring has like this full crafting system where you can create yeah. all these sorts of bombs. And I love the item characters, the- like the the mixers, or even like Riku and Final Fantasy X is super fun right. and. Like I love the item characters. Like it's I'm, one of those I'm things. That I, if you're like, if you're like a, if you're like a hoarder, you're like, no, how, I don't want to ever use items. But if you get over that, yeah, it's bad know. that I'm 30 hours into Elden Ring and I haven't unlocked crafting. <laughs> oh, I, I've, I've seen a lot of people like totally just miss the item crafting kit at the very beginning. Yeah, so. I have no idea where that is, and I just finally beat the uh, first main boss in the game. <laughs> Uh, I mean, I, do you want to know where it is? It's not a big spoiler. If you want to know where the ID sure, is. I'll probably forget it by the time. It's at the, it's at the very, it's at the, it's a very first, first church that you see, like after like the first, like the first step, uh, a thing. You just go out up that path where the tree sentinel was, and then you just go past it to a little church. And then the virtual will have like, oh, here's an item crafting kit. Go buy it off of me. It's weird because that whole game is uh, there's tons of different like recipe books and cookbooks that you get, but you can only get the item crafting tools at like one place. And then I think you get like a few other things. Uh, yeah. Anyways, uh, what game was it? Dude, I have to admit this, uh, this discussion on triangle strategy like gameplay is like making me more excited for it. <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah, like I, like I said, like they're, 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 once you get to like the actual game part, I think that 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 part of the game is actually pretty compelling, and I'm really excited to see, you know, what sort of characters I'll, I'll like uh, recruit as as time goes on, because they've already shown a, a good variety of them, and they all have their uses in battle. Like yeah, I, I feel like. like we, I- I feel like we did the game of despair a uh, disservice by starting off with like here's all the average stuff about the story and then like 15 mm-hmm. minutes later saying oh here's the gameplay which is actually quite good. I mean like I know like Final Fantasy Tactics Advance some people just don't like it because it's not so serious but I think on like the gameplay front those games are great except for maybe the uh, the law stuff. I like but, the law stuff. I, I, I just a, like the like the law stuff. I feel that that the they're, they're, uh, credit the game there's some good stuff about it, I think, but that's a tangent. But I just like the tactical combat I'm hearing about here and like the class stuff. This is like, I'm very interested. And, and, and the, the thing you also like too, Adam, is like you're very, like you'll never have like an abundant amount of resources, at least where I'm at in the game. Like I, I'm constantly like having to like 
think about how I want to spend like my my money and like my money has been just been going to like mats that you get from like a trader at the encampment to get more mats to invest on like getting a few upgrades here and there for like like this passive stats and like and there's like there's this uh, other currency called kudos in the game where it'll you'll basically get kudos throughout combat or just like doing like special uh tactics like the perform a backstab uh hit three people with a spear at once using a skill or um you know you or score land a critical hit you'll you'll accrue kudos and then that's another currency that you'll use for to gain like uh stuff like you know uh special one-off spells that you can do in combat at the at the use of like using this special like um qp uh thing but they're only like one-off spells that you can do so you only use them if like you're at a pinch or you use them for stuff like uh stuff to like promote class or like or get lore books so can you um in this game like are there random battles where you can if you wanted to grind money can you do that there are like these repeatable battles in the encampment that are like kind of like almost like challenge missions because some of them are like oh you have to complete it in this amount of turns but they don't really have a big payout and they have like a like a level gap like there's like a level 10 mission so it's not like you can like grind endlessly because if you try to if you try to over level in this game there's like a really uh, big 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 drop off on level scaling if you like if you're even one level above like an enemy like you'll just basically get no xp after and i i I feel bad bringing up tactics ogre final tactics all the time but i guess that's just natural well, I mean, um, we've compared it to Ogre, Tactics Ogre, Final Fantasy Tactics, Fire Emblem. I mean, that, that's I think that's just natural to be like the key. I don't know, but like Tactics Ogre, I remember, and I think Final Fantasy Tactics is the same way. Where random battles in those games scale to your level, where the story battles didn't. I remember you could easily overpower yourselves if you do the random battles because since they scale, you're always getting good experience. But then you like do the story battle. Let's just say after three hours of grinding and it's like oh these guys are 10 levels lower than me now i think final fantasy tactics advance is the same way i forget if final fantasy tactics is i don't know if story i don't don't know if story level are skills or not because so far they've been like either like all all the story stuff like the recommended level on them has been always been like either one level above like my dudes or nearly like at the same level let me clarify my content i think if i remember correctly tactics ogre on the first playthrough the levels are set, but then on subsequent playthroughs, then they all start to scale. If I remember correctly. It's been a while. That's yeah, a similar situation. Okay. okay. I think that's like, but like my my early thoughts on triangle strategy. Like I I am digging it so far uh, from where I'm at. Once you actually like get to like the initial like, okay, here's all the stories set up, and here's the state of the world, and here's all the characters. Once it actually starts getting going on, like, hey, you can start like playing the game and like progressing your characters and like recruiting new characters i think that's where it starts to really shine but it it requires like you know getting through that early stuff i think going in with that mindset will help um just kind of knowing that like all right i might be on this cutscene for 40 minutes or something you know rather than having that unexpectedly dropped on me yeah. now the, the, the hd2d stuff is like it's still it's it's better than the initial demo uh that we that we played it it's definitely like it definitely looks a little bit cleaner, but it does have the the inherent HD2D things of like the bloom still like a bit on like the crazy side. I've definitely had like some a few textures glitched out here and there, and then like the shimmer on some objects are like a little bit too intense. Oh, that that reminds me of one thing from the preview that I don't know if they fixed, and it's kind of particular. So there was one cutscene where it was two characters talking in a room, 
And depending on which character was talking, that character would be in focus and the other character would be out of focus. It's like they just discovered what depth of field was and was like applying you can, you, it super you can liberally. Off, you can turn off depth of field. That's the first thing I do right. is turn off depth of field. Uh, all right. Thank God. Uh, I, I turned off depth of field and like, and like the, the shadow borders on the corners. And that, that uh, it's great. I think Octopath had the same like vignetting effect where you could turn it off. But like depth I of yeah, field, I, I, I feel I like in most... Can... I know you can lessen it in Octopath. I don't know if you can turn it on depth of field off in Octopath though, which is like one of my the thing that I really didn't like about its style was because I remember being really annoyed by the how depth of field is handled in Octopath. I didn't I don't know if you could have turned it off or not at the launch date of that game anyway. And yeah, I don't know if they updated it with the PC version of that game. But um I think depth of field in general, this is like a weird just general gaming thing, is I think it can look really good as long as it's really subtle. But most games just like feel like, I, I heard you like Bokeh Blur here. Like you can't see anything past five feet or whatever. I just I really feel like most games Lost just Dark. like... I wish, I wish Lost Ark let me turn off depth of field because they I hate the depth of field in that game. A lot of it is just a fucking blur and when it comes to like cutscenes in that game. Now, uh... One just back. I hate to go back to the story stuff of Triangle Strategy, but yeah. just one thing to be aware of, I or I'm asking myself if I should be aware of it is that it's not like I don't know Persona Four where it's cutscene heavy at the beginning and then it kind of evens out past that point. It's just always cutscene heavy, like it, it doesn't much, let yeah. up. All right, just got it. There's to know some that going chapters in. that fit in a bit more battles, but it's it, that ratio is consistent mostly. Well, I am eager to play this game. I know I say that a lot, but uh, just Elden Ring. And then I was playing another game we'll talk about later in the podcast. And then uh, we've got Stranger of Paradise in a couple of weeks that I'm also interested in. So busy time of year and not everyone's going to get to everything on day one. So with that, we kind of discussed it a little bit in passing on on accident just a bit now. But obviously, Elden Ring is still fairly new. And I know we've had more people working their way through it. I have not played it more since the last time we talked about it, mainly because I was lucky enough to get the early access to it. But I just kind of wanted to check in on people like Chow, Josh, and James, who I know have still been playing it, just to talk about you know their experience past the initial leveling and the initial two areas. So in terms of the, the first couple uh, regions, like so the the embargo for the video and written reviews was basically to cover the first two areas. So I made sure that our discussions last week and in my review and in the video re review didn't pass those. But I think we will talk about maybe like some of the third and fourth areas now in this podcast and some of the bosses you fight there. So just kind of giving a heads up for anyone who wants to stay completely blind. They can go to the next timestamp where we talk about the next game. Uh, well, so with there's a Go bit ahead. of a problem with that because the way that the game is designed, what would you classify as the third and fourth zone? Well, that's a, because that's technically a good point. you never have to go to Kaled because for some people, the fourth zone might just be the uh, mountaintop of the giants, which is for, I'd imagine, most players an endgame zone. Yeah, that's a good point. So let's go ahead and say that Kaled you can kind of accidentally wander into within a couple hours. So let's go ahead and talk about Kaled. Uh, if we want, uh, maybe the Altus Plains and maybe the mountain and the Volcano Manor. So everything kind of free capital. Anything so, above ground. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, underground's weird because you can get to some of the underground areas 
pretty quickly. And even when Alex kind of ambushed our podcast a couple of weeks ago, he was just playing like the six hour preview and ended up spending half of it in the underground area. So for a lot of people that might be an early game area and for some people, they might completely miss it. And that's kind of like what Elden Ring is in a nutshell is basically just a lot of people there. There is I kind of mentioned in my review just how obfuscated the golden path is because you can just kind of end up anywhere on accident or on purpose or get distracted so uh, i'll hand it off just to james since we haven't heard him talking uh, much yet about triangle strategy so we'll go as we transition into elden ring discussion uh just what has your time been like so far past what you had initially experienced last week i'm two hours shy of 100 hours in the game all right i think you have surpassed me i think my total time ended up being like 90 some hours so I, I yeah, have to assume then that you've kind of been pretty exhaustive then in terms of like, yeah, not, well, not even, not completely. Like I did check, um, just a few minutes ago and I'm on track where if I uh, go into a few, uh, catacombs and caves that I haven't done yet, I can grab like the missing legendary armaments and the missing legendary ashes and spells that I still need. And um, as long as I make a backup of my save data before I um, go to New Game Plus, I can, or before I see the ending, I can actually just get the Platinum Trophy on my first playthrough. And I wasn't even really trying for that, but I have been, uh, I guess, pretty exhaustive. It's yes. uh, it's a huge game. It is absolutely massive. And I can only imagine that even with 90 hours in the game, there's still plenty that you haven't done or something like that. Cause it's like, there's just so much it's ridiculous. So what I did do after I beat the game is I wasn't smart enough to take advantage of like copying the autosave to like get all the different ending branches. But, uh, I did just look through the achievement list to see all the named bosses that are on there and went and kind of explored the areas to go get those. So I did kind of do that, but like, I know there's tons of things where I've seen people sharing on Twitter or social media where they, like, for instance, I I kind of forgot about this, but it's in a pretty early game area where there's an elevator that comes from the bottom of Stormvale Castle that doesn't work right away. And I know you can like encounter some really, you know, neat stuff down there that ties into some quests. And I know that I never I kind of made a mental note of it the first time through Stormvale Castle. And then I just completely forgot about it because I just completely got distracted and went off to do other things. And then I saw other people like as they were playing through the game as, upon release, fully exploring Stormvale Castle. I'm like, oh, yeah, I never went back for that. So it's kind of one of those things where it's like depending on either your memory or how good of notes you take, you might have like a completely filled like I know Alex, whenever he shared um screenshots of his map with me you can set like those green map markers anywhere and he used those like really liberally and i didn't uh and i kind of wish that i did because i'm sure there's tons of areas where i'm like okay here's a door i don't know how to open i'll go back later and then i never did uh yeah so so one thing i did in the four i i guess i I was gonna say fourth region but it could be the third region depending on who um who's playing the game um so in the altus plateau A buddy of mine and I were doing one of the many, uh, many dungeons in the kind of like overworld. And we came across an enemy type in it that was like hanging onto a ledge. And we could very clearly see that there was a way to get to that ledge and that there was an item there. But we could not find a path forward in the uh, cave that we were in. So we went looking around and we eventually found that there are actually some caves like that connect to each other, like 
and we didn't even think that was possible. We thought that for the most part, like the caves, they either exited out somewhere or they were self-contained. But no, apparently there's like caves and maybe even catacombs that kind of connect to each other. Maybe not directly, but in the sense that you can kind of see into another cave from one. And it's just... Yeah, I've, I've I had that moment that happened to me when I I took on a boss that was like at the uh, by by a, a special landmark where like the landmark was like this gigantic skeleton in yellow robes uh, sitting on on it, and like after that boss, like there's like a waterfall behind it, and like you saw a grace there. I'm like I have no idea how to get to that grace, and there's there's nothing in like the interconnected cave system that I was in that like allowed access to like that bottom area. Like where I think that I know was. what you're talking about. Me too. Yep. It, it was one of those underground areas, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because that section, that boss is, uh, you get to it from basically the opposite side of the cave system. So in yeah, order that's what to I thought. Get, <laughs> yeah, it's, um, yeah, in order to get to the uh, rest of that area, because you have to kind of double back and like go take the opposite branch in the, yeah. In the road. Yeah. But um, yeah, it's there's just... a lot of variety in terms of like the scope of each cave, because, yes, uh, I would say the plurality of them, like 40 percent, 50 percent of them are self-contained where it's like here is the Stormvale catacombs. Here is a mining tunnel that you go in and you get a bunch of different there's, the game does a semi smart thing where in kind of each region of the game, there's usually at least one or two places that has like a lot of mining tunnels where you get like the smithing stones and uh some of the somber versions like and they tear up the further you get and then there's and some caves fact, go ahead and fun fact the game actually it's the one type of cave that the game outright marks for you because if you look on the map if you get the map sharp like the map pieces for the zones you're in if you find these little like orange outlined like black holes on the map or black dots that's showcasing where a mine entrance is. So if you're specifically looking for somber, like for smithing stones or somber smithing stones, that's where you need to go because that's where the game is telling you, hey, there's a mine here. If you want to find a usually, mine. And uh, usually, uh, I'm, I'm kind of coming to a realization as you tell me this because I'm like, oh yeah, I noticed all those caves and I entered them because they're pretty well marked on the map. And it's not like, a, um, it's not like an icon thing where it's like there is a cave here. It's just kind of like a, a color on the map. Uh, and most of those areas, now that I think about it, not maybe not all of them, but most of them have a, a bell bearing that you can win from a mini boss where it's like now you can purchase more of these smithing stones or the tier below them from your uh, from the hub area. So I think that's really uh, kind of well what designed. I, what I found, what I uh, learned about myself in this game is that I'm unless it's like really easily like spotted like within my immediate vicinity. I suck at like finding maps in this game. A lot of my map is not even filled out, and I'm like almost near the end of the game. Oh, it's, <laughs> I, uh, uh, I can tell fact, you about that. Yeah, there's there's a trick to that. Even when you don't have the map, you'll get a a vague outline of the main road or highway. Yeah, road, yeah. And there's a like orangish, brown, reddish like tower that you can actually see off the side of a road on the map. Well, the lack of a map. If you go to where that is, that's always going to have the map for that section. Oh, well, well nice to know near the end of the game. <laughs> you know what's funny? I actually didn't even know how to find a map until I asked Brian how, and he told me the exact same nice. thing. <laughs> yeah, I, like, I love, I love how this game is like, I don't know how to find maps. I don't know how to uh, craft or whatever. And it's not because the game 
refuses to tell you. It's just because it's all, I don't know. How do I it say this? You, it trusts you to recognize, to figure out patterns and like work off of them. Like I, I've been racking my mind about like, I really need to pitch this to uh, Alex. Cause I just, my number one takeaway since I'm like, I say like 85% of the way through the game at this point, what's going to make Elden Ring stick out to me for so long is just how much it respects the player to figure things out for themselves and how it's unafraid of players missing things because there is so much of this game that it doesn't outright tell you. It has the hints. If you take your time and explore the game does give you hints about pretty much all of the content in the game. The problem is, is that you have to actively be looking for it. And that's not even really a problem. Maybe that's not the best way of phrasing it, but it's just like, as a very, very small example, there's a little village in the southwest section of Lyrnia of the Lakes, which ties into an NPC side quest. And also, um, there's an NPC that you can find that gives you one half of a medallion, which you can eventually combine with another half of a medallion on the literal opposite side of the world map to get access to a secret area that's just otherwise completely optional that keep in mind has like so many bosses it has like so many bosses it has um one of the biggest legacy dungeons in the game it has is that near the top of the map yeah yeah oh i just unlocked that last night and i like my mind imploded in on itself and seeing that my map grew by double and I wanted yeah. to be careful because that it's a lot. That's kind of like a lot of ending end game optional stuff. But it's I, I remember I did this side quest. I found that area. I did the thing that I thought was there. And like, all right, I'm done with that optional area. All right. And then uh, I was I was looking at the uh, the achievements that I was missing. I'm like, oh, wait, I never found this guy. Where the hell is he? So I like a bad person looked it up, and like, do you access this from that? optional area like wait there's another place that links to this place i thought i had fully explored it and it's like no nope, yeah and then uh, there's like well here's the crazy thing so that boss you're thinking of i'm guessing it's one of the shard bearers not the one that's part of the legacy dungeon uh the shard yeah shard bearer in an area with a lot of red i'll put it that way yeah so here's the fucked up thing about this you can also get an instant teleport to that location from doing invasions. And in the NPC that gives you that option, you can unlock that option as soon as, soon as um, like, the... If you invade area. other people, you mean? Yeah, as long that's, as you invade other people. So you can, cool. technic- you can technically have that boss, who's an endgame boss, be the third boss that you fight in the entire game. Jesus. If you if you just immediately go into invasion mode, I like I, I guess one thing I wanted to talk about that you brought up earlier is you're talking about you and a friend were trying to figure out how to get to a certain region. Were you playing a lot in co-op or were you just yes. meaning like, like actually in co-op? Like, how does that work? Yeah. Because I never bothered with it, partially because I was playing it early access, but also because uh, I just normally played these games kind of single player. I've never really bothered with the summon stuff. So just how does that work? Uh, so me and my buddies have um, there's a network option that the Soul Series has had for a while where you can set a net a matchmaking password, and then 
the three of us all have the same password and we're usually on PSN chat while we're playing and we're like, hey, I found this dun- this uh, mini dungeon. Do you guys want to do it with me? And then we'll just all like head there and then we'll just knock it out um, for each of us in order and then just head on to the next. So. So that's how it works. Like one person, I know this is a little bit more like back of the box type stuff, but one person will host and the other two will join as summons. And then you yes. kind of rotate through who hosts. Yeah. Yeah. All right. That, that, that kind of remind. I did play. Now that I think about it, I did play a little bit of dark souls Two that way. And it's worked the same there. So it seems like it's kind of generally the same framework. Are you guys yeah. playing a lot of different builds or I guess I know I asked Alex this when uh, when he was playing and he was he just said I'm playing sword and shield or whatever. I know that I've seen Josh playing with the what is it? This Y hander. Is that what yeah, he's sticking I, with? I, I know I have a completely different build now where I, I'm power stancing, <laughs> but it's like two colossal hammers. <laughs> two but, of them. Yeah. Two, and it's like I just I just really beefed up on fucking endurance. So I have me a medium load at it and I'm just. Yeah, I'm just power stancing two big red colossal hammers, and it's uh, it's oh, uh, very those very hammers, huh? Yeah, those are I, I love their I love them. They're so fucking dumb. They're really <laughs> good. I love them. So, dumb. Uh, oh, were you playing games? So I was using a colossal sword. I was using the very Game of Thrones uh, Iron uh, Throne esque uh, grafted uh, gra- um, great sword for the longest time and it was working out well but then um once i got the moonlight greatsword which of course it's in this game it's a from software game i basically respect to become a mage knight and i've been playing uh, as a mage knight since and it works out really well because i get the feeling of i can pretend i'm still a strength build when i swing this giant greatsword but then i also have access to all of this magic which is really kind of useful in this game I just Googled this because I also had the big Game of Thrones-esque greatsword for the longest time. And I think I probably need to respec into this as well because this looks really cool. Oh, yeah, especially because it's um, it's a skill basically gives it an aura and then it lets you shoot out sword beams like you're uh, playing oh. Legend of Zelda at full health. I um I literally I was playing last night. I played for like five hours, uh, and I was running with because I've been great sorting the entire time, and then I got kind of bored, and I just um I got like a really strong halberd, and then I kind of just been switching to lance, but that great sword looks really cool, and I think I want to try to find that. Well, if you're doing a certain a certain witch's uh, side quest chain, you're you're on your way. I tried completing that chain, but I think I locked myself out of it and I couldn't complete it, but maybe I'll look it up later. I ended up, I think I stated this last time, so I won't belabor the point, but I, I started with a magic build. Took me forever to find any more sorcery. And then when I did find a sorcery, a lot of the early ones just felt like not very good. Like I was using the Glimstone Pebble for a long time until I got some more decent spells like 20 hours in. Well, and then uh, I found this katana that is a dex int scaling katana. And I'm like, oh, okay, I'll, I'll kind of go into this hybrid build. And it does the whole anime, like, unsheath your sword, shoot a magic <laughs> slash sort of thing. And then, like, all right, this works. And one thing that I actually found really useful of it is that when I was doing the magic spells, even, like, the big powerful ones that you get later, they don't do a good job of, like, staggering enemies, getting them to, like, fall to one knee. But the sword weapon arts, or whatever they're called in this game, do. So I would often, like, start out in the sword, get the enemy to stagger a few times. And I, I don't know if this is a built-in mechanic. I'm, I'm sure it is. Or maybe people who have crunched the numbers know it. But... 
it's way easier to get a boss to stagger once or twice, and then they seem to get like more resistant to it. You have to like hit them harder uh, in order to get them to fall over. At least that seems to be it in my experience. So what I was doing is I would start out in the sword, get them to stagger a few times early, get a lot of free damage, and then kind of back off and use my more like spell casting magic later. Once I'm like, all right, the sword's played its purpose. So I felt like a truly hybrid build. And normally in these sorts of games in Dragon's Dogma and Skyrim and most RPGs, I just get scared of hybrid builds because I feel like, oh, I'm going to be a jack of all trades and I'm not going to, it'd be better if I just specialized in one or the other. I feel like this is a really good balance where there are tons of combinations that don't end up feeling underpowered if you spec partially in strength and partially in magic or partially in, in endurance. There's a lot of really fun synergies that end up feeling really good and in some cases potentially even broken. Uh, I'm sure we'll see like these no hit or I'm sure they already exist, like these no hit naked boss runs or whatever, where people just find like the perfect strategy to, to counter a boss and use a, sp a specific weapon combination or magic combination to, that just completely cheeses them. I saw someone say like the the meme phrase for these games shouldn't be get good. It should be get cheap because there's a lot of ways <laughs> to be really cheap in these games in terms oh, of using oh. summons or using spells. Like I, I sent a little like 10 second video to Alex where there's one of the legendary spells that's in like the Gleamstone category of sorcery is basically just a Kamehameha beam. It's oh, actually yeah, that it's I'm, not I'm that post... useful because it fires in a straight line. And most bosses are smart enough to dodge it. But there's one specific boss that isn't. He just kind of charges straight at you. On top of that, there is a flask of physic, which is one of the mechanics in the game where at the different minor trees, you get different little bonuses that you can buff this uh, potion with. And all right. So James has just linked me a little clip here. Let me watch this and give me my commentary in real time. So all right. He's, he's wielding the Moonlight Greatsword. He's casting this spell. Oh, he's doing exactly the same thing I was talking about. I couldn't get this boss to stay still when I was doing this. That's exactly what I did. Only I did it to the boss in the capital with the um, not with the weapon art or no, with that same spell. Uh, so yeah. I used the flask. Did you are you using the flask of physics where you get the infinite? Yeah, it's funny because I I didn't even really expect that to do anything because my uh, and my summon was basically almost dead at that point. So I thought, ah, oh, this is gonna be a wipe, and it's like, yeah, I might as well fire this anyways. And it's like. What the fuck? I've been at this for four hours. Why did yeah. this just work? <laughs> so, uh, uh, where is mine? I know I have I have like an equivalent video, but I don't know where it is. Uh, where is it? Not to oh. um, not to interrupt. I do. No, I, I, please I think interrupt. I have to bounce. Oh yeah, uh -huh. I um, I think I got to bounce now. That's um, fair. Yeah. Uh, but thanks for having me on. One of these days, I'll try to be on for the entire podcast. Ah, uh, no problem. I know we have these pretty long, and not everyone's got all the time. But all right, later, fellas. No, thanks later, for coming on, Colin. Colin. Have a good one. So, Chow, I haven't heard you talk a lot. I know you mentioned that you were about like thirty or forty hours into Elden Ring. What? How are you? Yeah, uh, oh, what's birthday boy rocking? What's birthday boy rocking? Well, let's see what I did in Elden Ring. Let's see. I'm trying to remember what the last thing I did. I fought some some knight in some kind of manner. That had the worst enemies I ever encountered in my life. These hand spiders. I already know, Junior. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I love like just how many moments in this game. It's very self-aware and from is very clearly very clearly knows that they're fucking with you. My favorite is this uh one enemy and well, being very vague, there's a section where there's a type of enemy that is a sentient boulder 
And the first time you see it, it's like you're you're trained to be like, oh, I'll wait until the boulder crop like rolls down the hill and I'll move. And then it's like, why is it moving up the hill? Why is it chasing me? <laughs> and then later there's a room with a treasure chest in it. And as soon as you enter, the door locks behind you and the boulder falls from the ceiling. <laughs> and you have to you have to dodge it and kill the living boulder before the door unlocks. <laughs> and it's just like one of those things where it's just very, very clear that from software is like, okay, how can we fuck with our players? You, you yeah. know what I would say from a from software game in a in a fighting game perspective? All the enemies you fight is like a smurf that is out there to kill you. Or something. I don't know. Like I swear to god, like every single enemy AI in this game is like trained to be like a professional assassin against you. It's like, what did I do to your family or something? <laughs> it's All like right. I I found my equivalent video. Uh, I know this is kind of silly that people listening can't see this, but I did the same cheesy tactic on this boss for this thing. So get cheap. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I got, I got, yeah. I got staggered once during this. This boss yeah, completely just... ran towards me. <laughs> but uh, like, what what are your goals, uh, Chow? Like, uh, like what kind of like uh, build do you have in mind as you're like progressing through the game? I don't know. I'm always the lame guy that just go for pure melee. I beat all the bosses without using summons and just went for melees and no cheap attacks either. Yeah, Giga Chat mode. Giga Chat mode. I don't care if I had to die a lot to get through it. I mean, I feel kind of dumb, but that's my pride. I, I'd kill all the boss using a melee build without using weapon arts because I don't even know how to use most of them. Right? Like, I don't know how to take advantage of the of the system, even though the game encouraged you to try these things. Right? Mm-hmm. Well, I think in Dark Souls Three that uh, I keep using the wrong term. In Dark Souls Three, they're called weapon arts. Here, they're called Ashes of War or something, kind of, something weird. Yeah. And like in Dark Souls Three, I felt like the weapon arts were really underpowered. And I'm sure Pillman's like, "No, have you ever tried this? It's super overpowered." But I, when I, during I my time with the thing. game, whatever weapons I was using, the weapon arts weren't that good. Where here in Elden Ring, they feel like a lot of them are kind of been not. I don't want to say overtuned, but buffed up. Where it's like you really benefit if you learn how to. Yeah, use there are definitely like some weapon arts early on, and it's like okay, these these Ashes of War are like whatever. There's there's definitely like tiers of Ashes of War where like you, you don't really get like the really cool stuff until like normally. Until like you get way later on in the game, because like a lot of the early Ashes of War, it's like eh, whatever. And like, and then and then Dark Souls three ones were like they were too confined by the weapon, because that's how that's how weapon arts were determined in Dark Souls three was the weapon, and there was no way to swap them around. But yeah, for weapon builds though, I've been using the uh, was it the spear that you get from killing the tree sentinel, the golden halberd or whatever it's called. I don't know. I've been using that whole thing for the for my entire playthrough. Yeah, what are you doing? That that's cheap, man. That, no weapons, only fists. What are you doing? <laughs> yeah, wow. No weapons, no armor, fists. What? What if you attach it with a claw? I mean, I did find the there's like this twin claw weapon that I found in the Stormwell Castle. I think. Uh, fine, I'll allow it then. Then, uh, but only that, nothing else. Your melee. Okay, well, or or there's this one item that you can use when you're naked that you get like a five stats to all your stats or something like that. <laughs> yeah, are you gonna rock that? <laughs> the whole naked build? I mean, come on, you run faster without all that all that yeah. weight on you. Yeah, that's true. Nothing can hit you, for sure. It's what Speedrunner uses for the entire Dark Souls series. It's always been naked runs. Yeah, I'm I'm really excited, like, in a month or so, when speedruns start coming out and people get routing down in this game and, like, what the hell that looks like, because there's so 
I don't know. I don't know how you run this game, to be honest. Like, what do they do? Would they just open one of those treasures that teleport them to like the end and something like that? No, soon. I have no idea how the routing is going for this game as far as speedrunning is concerned. Yeah, I'm curious. I wonder how long it'll take for them to dissect this game. Like, I, I really wonder, like, what an all bosses run looks like in this game and how long that takes. There was a couple times where, like, because of the nonlinear nature of the game, where I would fight some late game bosses and they're, they, they, they'd appear like in pairs or whatever or as ghostly forms. I want to talk about that more too. And then like later I'd be recircling back to an earlier area and I'd fight like one of a pair of bosses. Like, oh, I should have fought this a while ago because I fought the harder version later. Um, and I don't want to be like Vatividia or whatever and like pretend that I completely dissect the story. I get it at like a high level. I kind of understand what it's doing. One thing that I think is neat that I appreciate even if I don't fully like comprehend the exact order of events is that it does and i can't really spoil this because i don't understand it that well but the game does this thing where there's like this sense of duality in terms of why it's called the lands between where you almost seem like you're experiencing two timelines and i don't know if that's the intent i i really don't know uh but there's tons of times where you're fighting like a ghost version of a character and then later you'll meet the corporeal version of the character or vice versa and it's at a high enough, loose enough, foggy enough level that I don't really understand exactly what it's telling me, but it's really kind of fun to see things that you recognize from 30 hours earlier, only now it's appearing in a slightly different manner or in a slightly different form, or you're approaching a similar location from another direction. And I'm sure that people are going to start, you know, diving into all the different item location, item lore and location environmental storytelling to really piece it together but there's been tons of areas like oh shit i recognize this oh shit it's this guy again only it's different now just things like that which i just and really so that funny though. you just reminded me like you know like merchants of the game like you can just like shit up by lore in the game it's like so, you can just buy like oh here's a buy the description of this thing it's like all right cool thanks so here's the crazy thing about that people are still figuring out uh not just lore stuff but uh, there are at least a handful of side quests, like NPC side quests in the game, that nobody knows how to properly finish yet. And yeah, I believe it. Yeah, there's like, and it appears that there's at least one more ending left for people to discover because there's like data miners have found like um, voice lines for some of those NPCs where it's like, hey, these side quests don't feel finished yet. And it's like, there's clearly something more here. And it's clear that there's probably a mending rune, like which is one of those items you can get to change the ending here. And it's like, well, how do we get these? Oh, I got I got a mending rune, but I got it. So, hey, I can't spoil what it's used for because I don't know and I couldn't figure it out. But I got one. But I was so after this is this is not really. hmm. You can keep playing the game after the ending, but you can obviously you you can only pick one ending. James kind of alluded to this by saying that, you know, you'd have you'd have to do some trickery backing up the save in order to like branch out and see multiple endings. But you you can keep playing like an open world game at the end, uh, even once you've seen the ending. You very much like Dark Souls 2, you decide when to go on to um New Game Plus. And I I forget how Dark Souls 3 worked. So I kind of ended up getting something called a mending rune, which based on its description said like made it seem like I could really change the ending with this, but I had already locked myself in. And in, in addition to that, with the thing about the um side characters, I the the very first sorcerer that you meet, I think Selen. 
she, I, I think I kind of alluded to this maybe in the last week in the podcast. I hope I'm not repeating myself, but I thought I had gotten everything I could possibly get from her because I had bought all her spells and I had done all of her like side uh, dialogue. And then I just randomly visit her again late in the game and she had more stuff for me. And one of which was kind of like you get something called like a, a glimmer something glimmer stone like from her that is used to like transfer her consciousness into another body and i couldn't figure out how to use that and I, like i thought i had seen everything this npc had to offer and i'm sure if i go to fextra life or whatever people have already figured this out i don't know if this is one of those obfuscated side quests but you think that you're done you think like a you think a story thread has run its course. You think it's like, all right, I did that. You know, I already saw this person. I already met them here and I got a thing for it. I'm done. But you probably aren't. It's my experience is like if you go back with a different item in hand or after defeating another boss or later in the game or whatever, it feels like there's a more than 50% chance that there was more to it that you missed. And a lot of times I'm like, I don't know how to progress this because either I wasn't paying attention or I didn't take good notes. Or maybe I just missed my opportunity. I'm, I mean, I'm sure that's happened a few times too. But yeah, I'm not surprised that there is a ton of stuff that I missed just because I, you know, wasn't being thorough experiencing all that. Yeah, she's good. Wild. It's, yeah, it's going to be crazy to see what people will discover about the game in the weeks and months and years to come because it's like, like Dark Souls as a series was already very well known for having like really obtuse bullshit with tons and tons of content. And now you have Elden Ring, which is like the size of like Dark Souls one through three put together. If you like mm -hmm. count the bosses and areas, whatnot, it's like, it, it, it's going to be wild, but it's, uh, yeah. One thing that I, I can imagine people doing is kind of coming up with the, here is and i think this is just people have a natural tendency to like go this direction like here is the order of events that you should do in order to see most everything in terms of completing quests or doing side objectives and i kind of hope there's a few areas where you have to pick one or the other where if you complete one side quest you're locking yourself out of another i hope it's like i i can see someone trying to create like a rubric where it's like this is the order you must do things Golden in order path. to see kind of yeah and I, I hope I understand like the inclination because you want to see everything. But I part of me kind of hopes that there's areas where it's like you do this or this. You can't do both. They're mutually exclusive in some way. Uh, but I guess we'll have to see. It'll probably take a while in order for people to like suss out all the mechanics and how it works. Uh, though I do want to say there was there's a few times where I missed a step in a story quest and the game actually like called me out on it. Where NPC was like, hey, you missed our meeting over at the Mistwood Ruins or whatever. Like, oh, yeah, I forgot to meet up there. Ha, silly me <laughs> or whatever. And uh, turns out I should have taken better notes. But I enjoyed my time just because normally I play games pretty comprehensively where I'm trying to like scour and comb and do everything as slow as possible. But because I was playing kind of on a deadline, it kind of forced me to like be a little bit more loosey-goosey about it. And I actually kind of enjoyed that in a way where I had to live with the consequences of Oh, I never followed up on that. Oh, well, I don't, I have to make do. And that's, that's sort of another thing about, um, like if you miss, like Colin said, like the crafting tools or whatever, you miss the spells early on, you have to learn how to make do. It's not only the game telling you to figure it out on its own. It's like, if you don't figure it out, you figure out how to make do, you figure out how to just go on without, uh, the crafting kit or the spells that you could have gotten, or you have to learn to play the video game based on what you have. That's crazy. Yep. And I saw some people saying like, 
did you realize you could uh, de-summon the horse by pressing L3? It's in the tutorial. And I'm like, wait, you can? You can de-summon yeah, the horse? Yeah, I do that. Yeah, I do that all the time. <laughs> I, I never I never did that. I always just unmount it or whatever. So you never encounter a situation where you just suddenly got off the horse during like, nope. the middle of a battle because you probably I, hit the I, L3 by I accident. Hate map, I hate mapping things to L3 in general or like or whatever the equivalent for Xbox is where you press down on the stick. So I don't like that. Like a lot of games will have sprinting actions mapped to that or whatever. I don't I try to get away from that. Yeah, I don't like sprinting on on the, the stick buttons. No, stick but button. I, I I can imagine you pressing the button by accident during like a moment of panic because somebody's attacking you or something like that, you know. Oh, I maybe mean, that I, happened. But I don't think I so. have that before. It's like, it's like, what? Am I expecting like that the horse just ditched me on its own? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't think I've ever like mistakenly hit the the stick buttons in a moment of panic. I'm trying uh, to think of a time where I, where I did, and I can't. I have that. mistakenly switched weapon. I'm like, no shit, that's not what I want. Damn it, die! Uh, I've also had the whole like the game stutters the minute you have to dodge. That's yeah, that's, 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 yeah, that's more, <laughs> that's more my issue. Like, like oh, it stuttered, so it didn't be my input. On the, uh, I remember I was streaming oh, in Discord where it's like, I saw that attack coming. I knew the timing. I know I pressed dodge, but the game stuttered right when the input would have gone through. God damn it. Maybe the control I'm using is a little bit more sensitive because I Maybe. am using a Wii U Pro gamepad on PC. That's well, what look I at this hipster. My main controller maybe that sticks a little bit more sensitive it's easy to hit the l3 maybe i don't know i can't tell you where my vu pro pad is i don't know it's my favorite controller i mean you get like 50 hours of battery life and it feels like a better a better xbox controller yeah i mean i try to now you're just making me think of how many times nintendo scammed me with pro controllers because i have a free pro pad vu pro pad now a switch pro pad those things aren't fucking cheap dude i'll wait till they make a switch elite controller actually i'm not gonna get a switch switch elite pro like if they made like a new console they had a pro for it pro controller for it then i'll get it again because the default controller suck i will be a sucker and probably get the next xbox elite controller even though my first two have both have had like quality issues but they work well when they work well i know that's kind of a tautology but whatever all right, so maybe we'll just table it there for Elden Ring. I'm guessing we'll have at least one more podcast, maybe not next week, I'm not certain, uh, when we discuss more ending stuff and maybe once more people have like completely finished the game and what they think about its like legacy or whatever. I don't know. We might get a little bit highbrow about it. Uh, but I think that's a pretty good discussion for now to compare with our initial thoughts from last week and our preview thoughts from, from prior to that. So after Elden Ring released, and I won't, I won't spend a ton of time on this, I ended up not really playing much past release because uh, I was playing another game that released a few days in the wake of Elden Ring and kind of got... I'm glad that I was able to play Elden Ring early so I could put time into this. And that is the expansion to Guild Wars 2, End of Dragons. So I know that this is kind of a niche thing that not a lot of people are interested in, so I won't belabor a lot of time on this. But uh, I've been playing this game for a while, since, since it released, like in 2012. And... This is only the third expansion in 10 years because they've had a lot of hiccups along the way, uh, haven't had a lot of the success that a lot of the other MMOs have had over the last couple of years. But it feels like they finally got their uh, their feet under them at ArenaNet. And based on the like the COVID pandemic kind of conditions where this expansion was made, I think it ended up turning out pretty well. I've been enjoying myself a lot. And the thing with ArenaNet is that... like. Um, they never announced anything, but basically everyone knows who follows them that they've been trying to develop a different game, different games, but they like never none of them really left like 
the like the early planning like type of development so like they never got off the ground and so guild wars seems to like kind of been delayed in terms of their updates and things like that because of it and then they kind of had to just loop back to guild wars eventually is that how it's been basically yes yeah, so basically whenever whenever people would announce like on social media or whatever like i've been hired by arena people are like oh yes finally some more like support for guild wars nope i'm not working on guild wars i'm working on a new project oh okay and then that person will leave arena at eight months later and say like, wait what and then that 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 happened like a few times and it's like all right well but maybe they're making on something else that'd be kind of cool to see if they could like try their hand it's it felt like for a while there from like 2017 to 2020 that they were going to try their hand like riot has been able to successfully do where they take their one ip and leverage it into a bunch of different projects but they have failed spectacularly i guess they have not got anything off the cutting room floor uh they and you can kind of feel like People who have played the MMO can re- can tell when the resources were siphoned off of it to, to work on other stuff, and like people would find art stations from former developers at the studio working on stuff like a Dune game or like a space MMO, and it's like none of that stuff ever got announced or ever made it past like the like I said the cutting room floor. So right, that's so what I'm getting of, at. Yeah, so End of Dragons basically, uh, it feels like it was a panic move made where it's like, well, shit. This is the only IP we have. We got to leverage it. Let's do it. And they made it in pandemic conditions in like under two years. And I'll be honest, when you're playing it, you can kind of feel that in some ways where they'll like they'll reuse enemy models, but give them different effects where you can say like, all right, I can sort of see like how that's a good compromise for having limited development time and resources and things like that. Um, Or they'll like reuse like uh, some soundtracks or things like that. But I think all things considered, because that this was made last minute, because this, this was an expansion mostly made from home, I think the end product ended up feeling pretty good. And I think it is kind of a good sign in terms of if they are able to finally get their, I don't know, head out of their ass and actually like put their full focus behind this game, that they could they could accomplish a lot of things. It just sort of felt like that they never really had the passion for it, that they were going to give this game like a five-year lifespan and move on. But then they weren't ever able to move on where it's like, all right. I guess we're stuck with this. And they are doing some engine changes where they're upgrading from DirectX 9, DirectX 11. I'm not sure why not 12, but I guess 11 is more mature and has fewer like lingering issues that people haven't quite sussed out yet. So the fact that they're doing that, the fact that they brought in like some old uh, executives from, I don't know, the heyday to to come back to the studio. I think that the future is kind of bright and that this is sort of like the... uh, kind of like the inflection point where it's like, all right, this is arena net back when they have their, their focus back on this game that I think it actually is pretty promising and what they're able to put together in a short amount of time and in limited resources, I think is actually pretty good. And a lot of the music they've done is really nice. A lot of the new assets are really kind of cool. Um, they've, they've leveraged a lot of the tricks that they've learned during like the, um, ongoing development, the non, some people think like, Okay, Guild Wars 2 hasn't had an expansion since 2016, so it's been in maintenance mode since then. No, they've con- they've continuously updated the game since then with patches, the Genshin Impact style. And in that, they've learned tricks with like they've implemented a mocap studio, they've they've implemented new techniques with like lore book UI and things like that, or uh ways to kind of like improve the storytelling in terms of like adjusting camera focus and things like that. And they've kind of like now they have a boxed product that they can put all that into. And it really feels kind of like, all right, this is what they could do with their actually their might behind this thing rather than just kind of like different devs working on passion projects throughout the years. Like, all right, let's put it all together into a, one cohesive product. Oh, so, like with, with End of Dragons, is it like 
like a new zone that they added, like a new place to explore, or is it just like I'm not I'm not too sure like what the what the actual content is. So um, with, what it is is when when Guild Wars Two does their live updates, typically it's one map per patch. Like they'll do like the 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 core game is something like twenty two locations, and then in each season they add five or six new ones and then in expansions they'll give you like four or five in a bundle so basically this is a new continent comprised of four regions uh all at once and unlike the the live updates where they kind of reuse existing assets or or things like that it's a bunch of new assets a bunch of new music a bunch of new like ui and ux and things like that um it is a linear story so it does kind of pull off on the previous stuff so it's not uh it's not Elder Scrolls Online style where each thing is kind of its own separate thing. It is contiguous. Warcraft of 14 where you have to complete like the previous story stuff to get... You don't have to complete it, but the story is contiguous. So it's kind of interesting. Like you can go to End of Dragons without completing either the two other expansions, but it's going to reference events from there and takes place after them. So they try to keep it... The fact that it's so physically separated kind of keeps it a little bit like you're not completely lost, but it does reference it. And... The, each each expansion adds usually like some new uh, elite classes for your for your classes to spec into or new like uh, gameplay systems. Uh, this one it feels like they were kind of scraping the bottom of the barrel and like in Path of Fire, the most recent expansion, they added mounts as a whole system and it's like really robust and really well made and really like transformative. Where in this expansion they added fishing, which is kind of like you can kind of see like, all right, that's a good compromise. It's not as involved. It's not as transformative, but it's something that they can implement in a shorter amount of time with a smaller amount of resources. So I guess I'm okay with it, with that kind of context in mind. Uh, One thing that I will say, and this is something that I've always applauded ArenaNet for, is I am absolutely gobsmacked at how much voice acting there is. Like I was watching you play it. Like everything is voiced. Yeah. Smallest NPC interactions. So yeah, you'll be walking on a map and as you appear, as you just walk near some farmers, they'll have some just uh, idle dialogue. Obviously during the story scenes, there'll be dialogue. Uh, After the story scene is over, you can go back to an NPC, talk to them. There'll be like text UI where you can ask them a question. But then instead of getting a text box back, they will voice their answer back. And for some people, it's actually kind of frustrating because they like don't care about the story as much. Like, oh, I wish this would go faster. I just want to skip through it. (laughs) So it's kind of interesting to see like that they put so much time and resources into the voice acting. And for some people, it's just not what they're looking for. They'd rather have text boxes. So I feel like that is something a compromise that they could kind of, hey, if it's a drain on resources to implement so much voice acting, you could probably cut back a little bit because sometimes it might even be a little much. Uh, but even like the main character in this game, there's five race options and two genders. And so like for every single line of dialogue that the PC has, there's actually 10. I guess you could actually say there's actually 30 because there's three. Vo- there's three. Uh, it's in French and I think Spanish as well. So like I almost kind of feel like if they could s- section more of their resources away from voice acting towards other stuff, towards artists or environments or combat design or things like that, it might actually be a better game for it. But hey, if that's what they're deciding to be like one of the strengths of their experience, then all for it, I guess. Uh, so we'll see what sort of like, I think a lot of people weren't as interested in this expansion kind of as a as a standalone thing, more as a what is the future lead from here? Because this is kind of in a diet way, similar to Final Fantasy XIV, where it's kind of a new era for the game, where the current story arc has ended. Obviously, the studio is seeming to be like a kind of a, re- a renewed focus on the game. What is it for decade two of Guild Wars 2? And we don't really know that yet. So that's and kind of like a adventure, so to speak. Kind of, yeah. More, more on that later. So, 
Uh, uh, I was just curious. It's it's hard to. I was curious, like how many employees does ArenaNet have? Like I didn't know how big they were. It's a little bit hard to find because apparently, like a few years ago, they had a big hiring spree, and then they had like a big layoff like event a couple years ago. And so it seems like they're somewhere around 200, 300. Yeah, I think they're at like 250 at their max. And they laid off like a third of the studio. They did some merging with NC Southwest. Then they rehired a bunch of people. So mm-hmm. but the, so it's it's hard to say. Uh, but, but uh, their, is... their website has several positions open for like senior gameplay, senior software, senior Unreal, senior engineering lead. Uh, so it's like they have, a, they have positions open. So it's like they're, they're staffing up in at least a normal amount for, you know, whatever they're working on. So, Are yeah, they hiring but... new writers? Just curious. Cause I remember there was a huge drama with Guild Wars cause of a, a writer kept pitching at their fans or something. Yeah. That's, that was, was circa like 2019. Yeah. Though they, they had one writer ago. I think it was 2019, <laughs> but yeah, they they had, uh, they've, they've had one writer that's been there since the beginning, Bobby Stein, and they've got a team of writers, obviously. So at least the fact that they've got the one guy there kind of brings a little bit of sense of coherency, but yeah, sometimes you can kind of tell when something is, they've had a lot of turnover and it kind of feels like people go to work at arena net to build up the resume to go then get themselves to riot or blizzard which kind of is an unfortunate situation to be in because then you don't have that sort of uh consistency so hopefully they if they have a focus on this game that they can kind of get more people to stay long term but anyways i don't want to belabor the point i know this game is kind of niche but uh, long story short what they were able to put together doesn't feel i felt like there was some hesitation that it could feel slapdash or that it could feel like really really meager or something like that but it it doesn't it feels pretty good it's not it's it's not going to set the world on fire and i don't think anyone is expecting to but considering the constraints of which they built it it ends up feeling pretty good which i think is all we could have had a hope for so it kind of had moderate expectations and met them which at this point i think i'm more than happy with a little quick three-minute thing here uh before the expansion of guild wars 2 came out i did play a tiny bit just at like four or five hours worth of Elex 2. Another one of these yeah, like yeah. early March. Was it early March or late February? Anyways, March Wake 1. of Elden Ring. Yeah, March 1st. <laughs> Wake of Elden Ring releases. Uh, so I got, uh, I was able to play a little bit of this early. And I am interested in covering it because I did enjoy some aspects of Elex 1. Uh, and Elex 2, I would say thankfully or unthankfully, is just as technically sloppy as elex one i was having a i've, whole se- I've of... seen opinions on this like the technically describing the same thing but in like from like opposite directions where some people are like man piranha bites combat has been terrible for 20 years why haven't they fixed it yet where some people are like yeah piranha bites is back <laughs> give me that seven out of hell yeah <laughs> but the, the so thing good. is is that my, in sometimes my you time... just sometimes you just want to play a seven out of ten that eats like an eight out of ten yeah. So my short time with Elex 2, first of all, like the animations are PS3 era. The textures are like late PS3 era. The voice okay, acting uh, is... On, on a scale of like how Babylon's Fall is it? Is it uh, it's, like better? Worse? It's not as blurry. Yeah, it's not as blurry and it's got a better art style, but not by okay. much. 20% better. 20% better. <laughs> so it's a 5 out of 10 game then. I don't is know that yet. how the math works? <laughs> so... Elex 2, the thing is, is that um, when I when I saw like the average animation, like, all right, that's fine. Average voice acting, whatever. I can live with it. Uh, 
average art, average environmental assets. Like, okay, whatever. That's fine. Uh, but then like I would have issues where I don't know if it was like a memory leak. I don't know what it was, but I was in this interior cave that had like lots of buildings, lots of structures. It absolutely like tanked my frame rate. Cause I think it wasn't doing like any sort of like under the hood, like frustrum culling or optimization or anything. It was just like, you have everything loaded and taking up whatever resources of your of your PC. It doesn't look that great. It didn't look that involved, but it was just tanking my frame rate. And it's like, all right, that's I guess that's fine too. But then all of a sudden, like things start clipping in and out of existence, and like the floor disappeared. And like you could see like this. I, this, I saw this, that when I was watching you. Yeah, and it just like you would you would turn around and you would see like streaks of white where something hadn't loaded in yet. And then it would load in like really slowly or you'd walk forward and things would like clip. Oh, and uh, I would talk to an NPC and their head would disappear for a bit just because <laughs> I guess, I guess their head took more resources than their body. And it's a, that sort of stuff. I'm like, all right, this, I can't, I can't just chuck this up to be like, ha, that Euro jank. Oh, you know, how, how quaint or whatever. That's where I'm like, all right, this is really distracting. This is really like not good, like not a good impression. I am not enjoying this. Uh, and it felt like it really needed more time in the oven. And it's interesting because I felt like for Elex 2, I gave it a long leash. I'm like, all right, I, I kind of went in with these expectations that it was going to feel a certain way or perform a certain way. But then they just kind of kept stacking up and stacking up. I'm like, all right, this is actually not fun anymore. This is actually. I've like never played a Piranha Bytes game, but everything I hear about it is that like the strength in these games is sort of a hard thing to like show. It's things mm-hmm. like quest design and things like uh, the, how like the faction system works and how it's built into the world. Not something you can like show in a screenshot. Is that how you yeah. would put it with what, your experience? Yes, and Elex One was definitely the same way. In my short time with Elex 2, I will say that it feels a little bit safer, a little bit more Bioware, where it's more like, here is a hub area. We have to get a representative from each faction in order to support our fight against the big bad, where it feels like, oh, that's too, that's too choreographed. That's too, like, by the numbers, I feel like. I kind of wish it was just more like, go have almost more Elden Ring like where it's just kind of like go have fun you'll you'll make your way to the ending no matter what you do and uh, your choices will uh, end up playing in how they play in but instead it's kind of like more divided where it feels like it's more of a template where it's like there are x factions literally like yeah there are five factions and you can talk to the representative from each one of them yeah and 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 it's actually built into the world where I I think the idea of factions in a game work well as long as it's not so clearly perfectly evenly distributed like it's a video game yeah but this one it very much is like this is where these guys live this is where these guys live and this is their leader and this is their leader and they focus on this and these guys focus on that and it feels just too i wish it was a little bit more obscured so early in the game i ended up going to a faction that like lives in a cave and they're like very like bloodthirsty i actually forgot they're called like the morcon or something like that and like I didn't have to go there first. I could have gone to some other place first, but I kind of feel like that I'm just going to go to each place in turn and do the thing there. But I don't know. Maybe maybe it'll end up surprising me at the end. But hopefully, the fact that I'm kind of putting it on the back burner for now will hopefully fix some of the like more egregious technical things. That seems like an ongoing trend with like Piranha Bytes. Is like it'll technically get better like in a year. Just wait. Yeah. So yeah, that, I, they seem to always have like well, like really like rough launches like on the technical side. But the thing is, you though, played, is like, I remember the original Elex, you ended up reviewing it for us, but you did play it like 
six to eight months afterwards, right? I, I did play it late, but I still had areas where like NPCs would path into like a bridge and they wouldn't catch it and they just like walk in place into it. Or, or I, think I remember floating. you fighting a guy like floating in air too. Yeah, but they just sitting there floating in midair, just stuck. Like, so I don't have high aspirations. Like, oh, I'll give this a a, a bunch of time, and it'll eventually be it'll eventually be good. Like, it'll eventually be adequate. <laughs> I don't know. So, uh, I, I I don't know when I'll return to it. Maybe like in April or so, uh, or maybe late March. But I do plan on getting more time into it, and hopefully, like. I, right now, in my short time with it so far, I'm not enjoying it as much as I enjoyed Elex One. I'm trying to think of like, well, what, what are like the RPGs this month that I'm like looking really looking forward to? Stranger of Paradise. Paradise. Yeah, Strangers yeah, of Paradise for sure. And then, but that's Relayer. That yeah, Relayer March. So March 18th is Stranger of Paradise. Relayer is. March. Josh hasn't said this in the podcast, but he was playing the relayer demo and decided to get all his units up to level thirty. Oh yeah, well, we, talk, right. we talked about it. We talked about the demo last week, but yeah, yeah he's but, been still wait, playing it. I, I, I don't know yeah, if he had I, his units up to level thirty yet. I did have it. Yeah, I, I, I found a way to the level up really fast in that game. He's ready to and, go for the I, full, yeah. full release. Yeah, if, if, if unless overpowered. My, yeah, unless my save progress doesn't carry over, then I get to laugh. Um, but yeah. That's, I guess those are my the RPGs that I'm looking forward to this month. There's also Rune Factory Five, but I'll wait for the PC version for that. Yeah, that game definitely needs a PC version. <laughs> my yeah. fear is still watching the crops having to load the screen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's so. And on the news front, well, I guess before the news front, I'll talk about some of the features that have been put up on the uh, website over the last week. Uh, we talked a little bit about uh, Colin's Triangle Strategy Review. Obviously, that is up on the site, and we kind of spoke about that at length. Obviously, upon the release of Final Fantasy VI Pixel Remaster, we did get up a review for kind of the second trio from that set of games. So Scott put together a review for Final Fantasy IV through VI, the Pixel Remaster versions. And long story short, good games are still good games. Uh, We recommend these versions and the games, and hopefully we'll hear about console releases soon. I know we're kind of beating dead horse about that wish and aspiration right there, but... Uh, and Adam's also just, let me just jump in real quick and say that like there are some like actually I should say there are numerous minor bugs in like Final Fantasy VI still and Final Fantasy V was sort of the same way where they they fixed a lot of them but there's still a couple remaining like just one example just one example in Final Fantasy VI in the late parts of it like Cian has a dream sequence and at the end of it he gets the Massamoon but then in the Pixel Remaster version, like the the dream sequence happens, and the game has like the text that says you get the Massa Moon, but it never shows up in your inventory. Like it doesn't. No. Like, uh, and it's like, oh, I guess I no, don't have no the way to get toward. No, there's no. And uh, there are a couple of other bugs that have already been fixed. But what I'm getting at is that I'm hoping that basically, like, however, for better or worse, the PC version is like almost a beta test, and like, okay, hopefully they iron out these quirks. Um, none of them are like game breaking. They're just kind of annoyances. But hopefully, like by the time the console versions eventually come out, they're like polished up a bit. Yeah, Pranobites, we can't just say, oh, wait for the PC. Oh, wait. <laughs> I don't yeah. know. Wait, yeah, so, but, so, so Scott put up a review for those. Like... Yeah, and hopefully, hopefully we have like the best version of the games once they are eventually announced for consoles. Uh, we do have a feature up on the site that actually I didn't realize that uh, James had written until just earlier this morning, and that is a preview of Tiny Tina's Wonderland, which is also another March release late in the month. 
So James, I know you've played Borderlands and you were the best person to write about this. Can you just give us like a quick overview of what your preview experience with Tiny Tina's Wonderlands was? Because I didn't even realize that you had done this. Yeah, um, I'll be honest. Uh, the uh, preview build that we were given was very, very short. Basically the equivalent of what would have been a uh, a show floor demo, I feel like, at E3 or something. Basically just had access to two story missions in one area in one section of a map it is very short had two of those story missions a few side quests not much else couldn't explore the overworld this time which is one of the bigger changes because it's kind of like a nino kuni like style like like chibi um like overworld now which is definitely different <laughs> uh my main takeaway was that it's <sighs> First off, it's really hard to get a like gauge of how the rest of the game is going to be with such a small like cut. Well, it's just it's a tiny vertical slice, tiny vertical slice, and it's like what might be endearing, like having the whole thing be like, oh yeah, it's all the Borderlands characters playing D and D, so it's like they're like narrating over what's happening in game and stuff like that. It's like that that's neat. Now, will it still be neat? Like. 30 hours into the game or will it lose its luster will it become annoying will they be able to make jokes that evolve from that concept without getting stale because like one of the big things with borderlands is it's supposed to be funny like obviously humor is subjective a lot of, i know a lot of people that don't think it that the series is funny but it's like just a question of well how would i feel if i played the full game just gonna put it out there right now i am not planning on reviewing it <laughs> i was just gonna uh, ask but, adam do we have anyone like signed up for this or is it kind of lingering no. <laughs> All right. So, but, um, I will say the main there are some really nice quality of life changes that even if I can't see like everything that the game like kind of builds up to, if it's like minor changes here and there, like one thing that was really cool, which was kind of like my main takeaway, even if I didn't say it in my uh, preview article, was um, there's these things called lucky uh, dice you can find in throughout the world, and if you find them, like the more you find the higher your multiplier is for stronger and rarer loot, which feels like a really, really uh, neat collectible for a game like Borderlands, where the whole idea is finding stronger and better weapons. Like, it's like, oh, <laughs> these things become, um, become a bit more than just a random thing for a checklist, because I want to get as many of them as I want, as I can, so I can... Yeah, uh, the magic fight yeah, stat in Diablo. Yeah, so it's like... I was like, that's neat. That feels like something that, uh, it, it, especially since I've been playing Elden Ring, where it's like, oh man, like, why is there a reason for me to explore when there's like all these checklists and all these things on a map? And it's like, oh no, this, this gives me a reason to want to deal with finding these because it's actually something I want to get stronger. And it's, so yeah, I, I again, I don't know how the full game will be. Maybe I'll play it in a few months. Definitely not at launch because it's coming out, I think, the same day as Stranger of Paradise. So good luck. But, in the uh, wake of yeah. Stranger of Paradise. All right, so we have that preview up on the site for Tiny Tina's Wonderlands. And speaking of Stranger of Paradise, over the last couple weeks, during just like this, as we're in like the meat of the marketing cycle for this game, uh, Andrea and Alex have been kind of scouring all of the pre-release trailers and footage and screenshots and artwork and everything from their social media account and everything to basically kind of 
identify what this game is. It's kind of an anniversary title for the series. And they put up a feature called Final Fantasy, sorry, Stranger Paradise, Final Fantasy Origins levels are based on other classic Final Fantasies. Here's what. So this is something that is not really been like explicitly marketed from Square Enix, but something that's actually, kind of yes, been... now it has. Oh, now, now it, it has? has. All right. Correct me, Adam. Which is funny. Okay, let me let me jump in here. So Andrea posted this piece with Alex help basically says like each area in the game is inspired by a different Final Fantasy like this tomb like area is from the tomb of Wraithwall in Final Fantasy 12 or the crystal palace is the crystal tower from Final Fantasy 3 and, and this is what's funny to me is that some people were like nah you're looking too much into it these aren't are these are just inspired they're not like they're not like grabbing them directly and then they show up they had like a demo from like a PlayStation Japan account that's like literally the insomnia uh, throne room from Final Fantasy 15 and then <laughs> and then um they the Japanese Twitter account like just in like the last two days literally like literally they're like by the way the Crystal Palace is based off the Crystal Tower in Final Fantasy 3 by the way the Sunleth Waterscape is based off of the area in Final Fantasy 13 like like they said it explicitly <laughs> and there was even like a Square Enix English news post that uh I believe they talk about the Tomb of Rayfall let me look it up here for, uh, quickly um oh yeah here so what is the inspiration behind the cavern of earth in the game uh, skipping a bit so we decided to take inspiration from the tomb area in final fantasy 12 and it's just it, i thought that was so funny that like andrea preempted these by just like a few days and some people were like nah these aren't these aren't based off of other areas so stupid. man, man. <laughs> now, the, the, the fact i i can't wait to get to that so point that one area that's very clearly inspired off of Delk Foot's tower from 11. Cause mm-hmm. it's like during the layout for that tower in 11, it's like, Oh no, is it going to be that bad? Is it going to be worse? <laughs> yeah. So both, both James and I played a bit of final fantasy 11 last year or the year before. I forget how, how does time work anymore. And that last tower year. is one, one of one of the earlier kind of like big dungeons of that game that you play in either the base game or the uh, second, the expansion that launched in the English version of the game. I forget. But it's very like maze like, uh, but also like not very detailed. It's very like, you know, 20 years ago tech. So it's kind of cool to see it like brought up to modernish standards with the screenshots that we can see. Uh, And it's kind of cool where you in Andrea's and Alex's uh, feature up on the site where you can say like, oh, that's obviously like, how could anyone have doubted that this is what this was uh, based off of? So they've got uh, we've mentioned a few of them. The, uh, the Insomnia Castle, the Delphitz Tower, the Sunleth Waterscape, the Evil Forest. There's a there's a few that are like more questionable, and it's kind of fun to try to determine like is this inspired by something? Like there's one that has like like sandy mechanical like towers, and it's not immediately obvious if that's inspired from something. But Andrea kind of just like you know shot in the dark is like maybe this is Figaro Castle from Final Fantasy VI because that's basically a castle that buries into the sand and is like a it's like a moving fortress. And then there's one that's like uh, a sky fortress that's kind of mechanical but ancient. And like maybe this is the Ronka Ruins from Final Fantasy V. And, you know, maybe she's not 100% correct, but it's sort of fun just to kind of guess. Um, if it's, yeah, if it's well, based I, the, the forest those... area, they originally thought might have been Makalania, but they're like, no, this looks a little bit too dark and dreary. Maybe it's Final Fantasy IX's evil forest. So, right. And we'll find out eventually. But, you know, the speculation is fun. Mm hmm. I, that is just a game like every th- every time they reveal like some snippets of footage like like of the classes i'm like this game like i am i just get more excited to just get my hands on it like i it just looks so responsive and so fun to play 
and it also looks it incredibly seems stupid. like it's doing one of these it's in terms of like story like who knows how weird or stupid or cool it's going to be but it seems like it's going to somehow like be people are wondering like is it some sort of like origin story for every final fantasy game like there's a, there's like a, there's like a weird earnestness to it that like i can't i can't avert my eyes from honestly <laughs> nomura <laughs> who knows yeah, that is also up on the site as well as uh, as well as our current guesses. So we'll see how close we are. Or we are. Andrea is. She's the one that put in the lion's share of the work along with Alex. All right. So last week we made a prediction of what we would expect at the new Pokemon Direct or whatever it's called, Pokemon Presents that was held like a day after our podcast. And I think all of us kind of safely guessed probably just Pokemon Legends Arceus uh, Arceus expansion inform- information. Like that's all. That's all we're expecting to see, right? Uh, turns out, no. Uh, we got an announcement of a new Generation Nine series of Pokemon games with Pokemon Scarlet and Pokemon Violet. So this is something that I feel like I don't know if my sense of time or scale is just uh, escaping me now, but it feels like this was much sooner than I expected. And the trailer for this seems like it's very clearly in the vein of Pokemon Legends Arceus. Like that was almost like a template or a. A, a beta test of what this game is intending to be. So we basically I think there got are two reasons why this feels like it came so soon. One, uh, Pokemon Sword and Shield had the expansion pass stuff that came out, you know, a year a year after, after it released. Right. So like, there was more content for Pokemon Sword and Shield more recently, even if the original release was three years ago. Because the truth is, it's about three years between between generations. That's just kind of how it's always been, and that's how it is still. So there isn't really any sooner. So that's one reason, is that there's been expansion stuff. And two, you just shove an Arceus in there. You kind of just assume that it would be like, you know, the schedule would be pushed a year or something off or something. Because Great Game Freak was making Arceus instead. But no, that's just kind of, this is just an additional game. Didn't affect the schedule at all, I guess. So right. And one thing I, one thing I didn't say is that Pokemon Scarlet and Violet are slated to arrive late this year in like a normal Pokemon window. And I've seen some people like kind of joking, like Game Freak, take your time challenge or whatever. You don't have to <laughs> shotgun these out and like make it the like, skim the bottom of like making through these things are so threadbare and held together, like technically. But uh, it seems like that's not what they're doing. These are going to release in the normal cadence as an annual Pokemon game. And the, the trailer for this is mostly like about half of it is like live action goofiness, which I'm OK with. And then the other half of it is basically like, do you remember Arceus from two months ago? Here are some very similar looking environments, only now in a new region of the of the Pokemon world. Uh, I forget if they've announced like in the press release later what the name of the region is. Uh, let's see. I don't think it's, so. We know it's based off of Spain. Like, yeah, uh, it seems like very Spain. Correction, it's based off the Iberian Peninsula. Yeah. It's not just Spain, it's Portugal, so Portugal Spain. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so they haven't given the region a name as far as I can tell. The thing about this announcement is that it was like the trailer and then a bunch of like press release information kind of like trickled in about the starters and things like that, which by the way, yeah, the starters... Well, we, we, we need to set up, which camp are, we, are, are you guys on for starters? Well, I love the meme on the internet. The first one is 4chan for the grass type. Uh, the fire type <laughs> is Reddit. The, 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 the grass type is weed cat to me. The, <laughs> the fire type is Reddit. And the water type is Twitter. So pick your poison. I like mm. the doofy fire apple dinosaur dude. Fui, fue coco. <laughs> it, it, it's very clear. I, I wonder if they, they're going to have the balls to make the fire starter end up as a fire grass type because it's very clearly riffing off of a chili pepper. Oh, 
And then, of course, the uh, the the bird, which is Quaxley, basically Quaxley. immediately like people just putting like Kingdom Hearts Donald Duck. Like it pretty much shiny is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're not wrong. Also, the way that the birds like art, he's like the way he's moving his wing. Yeah, like, makes people like you know attach him to like he's fabulous. Sort of <laughs> sort of archetype. Uh, uh, I, I don't know. It's a, I think I think I'm torn between the the fire and the water type uh Coco and Quaxley and then the grass is like I don't know I I I, I, I I can't I'm always gonna call it weed cat I can't call it spring of yeah, spring of Tito or whatever it's weed cat to me I'll just call it fortune so, ba- so so basically here's here's one sentence from the press release where it says trainers can explore an open world where various towns with no borders blend seamlessly into the wilderness so basically they're just it feels like it's kind of weird because this is the game that everyone's wanted, right? An open world Pokemon game. But it, I don't know if people are like excited for that. I don't know if because like Arceus kind of like doured, like, oh, this is what they can actually accomplish. I know, I, I, I'm wondering if like the open world element of it is even more open world than Arceus, the way it says like no borders, because, you know, the the town so Arceus Arceus is still is kind of a separate yeah. thing. OK, right? so this seems like kind of a mix between well, not really a mix. So. The reason I was willing to give Arceus a chance and I was so I was actually excited for it was because of a the second DLC in the Sword and Shield expansion pass and um, which was the Crown Tundra, which had its main town seamlessly integrated into the wild area and how you literally just there was no loading zone. You just walked into the town that was also in the wild area. So it sounds like they're kind of doing something with larger areas. It's obviously using the changes to the engine that Arceus did, if you just look at the footage. But it seems like they're incorporating some of the aspects of, oh, yeah, you can just walk into the towns from this way. So it's going to be interesting if they're still going to focus on the re- the segmented regions like Arceus. I think there's a possibility they will, but it does seem pretty clear that there's going to be like towns and cities just directly tied to the wild areas like the Sword and Shield DLC, and I'm I'm here for it. Uh I do wish it wasn't coming out this year just because I feel like they're not giving Arceus enough time to kind of breathe. Right. But I I mean like I said, I the sword and shield dlc got me back into pokemon and like arceus like for all the flaws it had it was still i still had a fantastic time with it so i mean yeah like my main (laughs) issues with sword and shield were down to oh it felt like i didn't i wasn't able to explore it felt like the areas all the routes were so so linear the fact that this one is like okay well it's still gonna have not a full complete pokedex but after legends arceus i don't really care about that issue as long as they have like interesting ways to find Pokemon, interesting new Pokemon, and the region itself is fun to go walk around and explore, I'm worn down for this. So I'm I'm pretty excited. I feel like this is the most excited I've been for a Pokemon game since like Generation Six, and I have a feeling I'm gonna probably end up liking it better than Generation Six too. So yeah, we gotta talk about these trainer character designs. What's going on with them? I weird. like to congratulate the Pokemon Company International for uh, 
showcasing the first uh, non-binary uh, non uh, Pokemon protagonist because it's it's just the same character. It's just the same <laughs> character. You're not wrong. You're definitely not wrong. They're, they definitely look very similar. I'm just now looking at the designs. Yeah, it's like they're where they have the exact same outfit, exact same face, just the same hat. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like it's like it's like yeah. It looks like you have different expressions. It's the same person, but different well, yeah, the boy is like upset or sad. Yeah, <laughs> why is why, why is the boy so like? What's he worried about? What's he anxious about? He's like, oh no, they're releasing another Pokemon game this year. Oh god, and they're not giving it extra time to breathe. They're just going on schedule. <laughs> you know oh, what? Darn. Maybe the boy's right. <laughs> Maybe I agree with the boy here. <laughs> I and, yeah. uh, the Sword and Sh I never played Sword and Shield, but. Like those designs, uh, at least like the the girl trainer was well, that would be hard to top. So I don't know if we're gonna get quite as many memes about like the the Scottish. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I had fun with like enjoying I, that I, from I, the periphery. I've already been seeing people making memes about is this the small Victorian child y'all been talking about? <laughs> oh, that but yeah. I I think it was. I'm sure a lot of people were surprised. Like yeah, we're announcing a new generation. It's coming out this year. Just and they didn't. They announced like a a small little like free update for Arceus, but I was expecting like some sort of expansion pass, something or other. But nothing yet. It's the the it free update is coming called, out. Who knows? It's called Daybreak, right? Not to be confused with Sunbreak from Monster Hunter. It's like uh, you. It's like there's some different uh like outbreaks. what are they called? outbreak events and then you can battle the wardens again in the village i think that's about it which which seems fun and fine but now it I, is I, sort of I, I i need to i need to play the daybreak update so i can update my guides <laughs> oh. oh the the the, yeah, the curse crazy. of the guide writer <laughs> games as a service yep all of them all the time now so you increase your playtime guys by writing guides it's it's weird it's weird that like like arceus now just feels like a one like you know, not say a one and done thing but it's just like, like you know here's tears like another update but i don't know if they're really going to place that much emphasis on it moving forward compared to like hey we have a new main line now and arceus just felt like pre-release like the, the next big thing for them so the thing is, is yeah because they uh because the i mean we're not that far removed from the diamond and pearl remakes that was only oh. three months ago so <laughs> like the, the fact that they basically had Ilka, I, LCA or whatever, make those kind of felt like, oh, they're just giving Game Freak more like internal time and, you know, resources to make the next mainline like Pokemon game. But, not really. but, in, but instead, <laughs> they just use the extra like bandwidth to just create like this additional game on the side, which is fine. But it's just interesting because I think we all kind of hope for, all right, the next Pokemon game, they're going to really like give it their all and give it time to breathe. And this is really going to be it. And it seems like that's still what they're trying to market. Uh, Scarlet and Violet as it's just hard to take that on faith when it's like yep we're releasing this like in the same year under the same tech of a game that kind of hit the mark but didn't like nail the landing in Arceus if this said like for next year 2023 and this is just a very early look I think it'd be like all right you know finally here we go but it's like oh okay we'll be playing this in eight months okay to be devil's advocate I will say that I do very clearly remember saying that I was worried about Arceus the moment they announced it was coming out in January because mm. I thought when they announced it for 2022 that it was going to be their holiday title because it's like, oh, well, they're releasing Diamond and Pearl remakes uh, late uh, 2021. So obviously, like Arceus Legends has got to be their holiday title for 2022. That did not turn out to be the case, but it still turned out well. Like, I mean, 
there's yeah. issues here and there, but like it's very clear that yeah. the overall reception for Arceus was very positive. So I mean, I, they clearly. I mean, maybe we need to give Game Freak the benefit of the doubt and just assume that the issues with Sword and Shield were down to getting used to a new framework to develop their games under. And now that they've had a chance to like get more used to their tools, figure out what they want to. Um, like explore if the series going forward with um the sword and shield dlc and then arceus maybe it's just back to normal because they've been making games on a yearly basis for like over 20 years now over i will tell on that like uh, like yeah. when, when this thing comes out and we'll see like what the technical issues will pop up out of it you know because yeah that that uh, that's the thing it, it's it, it's easy to say you know maybe they're just getting used to it but when it comes because of a repeating pattern, that's like, okay, what are we actually doing here? Yeah. Well, he he did he what... did preempt his statement with saying devil's yeah, advocate. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> so let's hope for the best, I suppose. Yep. Here was another surprise announcement. Well, actually, sorry, not technically an announcement because this will be announced in July, and this is something I don't think any of us were expecting. That's so weird. <laughs> Just yeah, this is this is this, so is, this is an announcement of an yeah. announcement. The classic, and that is we are expecting this here in July. The announcement of Fuga Melodies of Steel Two. This originally appeared in a column in Famitsu Magazine, where the CyberConnect CEO basically, you know, dropped this news, which was then confirmed by the creative director of the game on Twitter. So Fuga Melodies of Steel was a game that we thought pretty highly of collectively. Uh, I mean, okay. like, uh, yeah, in our top 10 last year for 2021. Uh, and unfortunately, we we kind of got some, you know, I don't know, intuition talking about how it didn't really sell that well or didn't perform not really well. intuition they just sort of said that outright like yeah. right was, i don't know like they've like, only made we, i, we I don't remember the number it was like yeah they, they, they said million. it didn't meet expectations at the end they said something about like that yeah well they literally makes... said like it cost 300 million but we only made 100 million yen or something uh, yeah. Yeah. Go ahead, gave numbers. yeah something like that like one thing i'll give credit to cyber connect to about like this whole ordeal is they've been like incredibly transparent which is yes. really cool like it's unfortunate that the things are being transparent about is we did not make money on this game that pretty much everyone that's played it agrees is a really good game please buy it please play it seriously it's on every platform you can play it it'll run on a potato pc i find that really bizarre making a sequel to a game that bombed but who well knows? well here's the thing this i thought about it and i think this makes way more sense than I think we people have been giving credit for. Because they already have most of the assets that they would need done. They already have a gameplay loop done. They already have an engine. Well, it's Unreal Engine, but you know what I mean. Like they Tailored already to have the game, yeah. yeah. They already have like realistically like 75% of what they need to make a sequel done. But that being the case it probably makes a lot more sense to try and recoup development costs by making another game using a lot of the same assets and a lot of the same framework. And then also having that release acting as advertisement for the first game, then vice versa. Once the third game comes out. Well, yeah, it, really, like, it, really, it really depends on like what we see from the sequel, because that definitely like they have a lot of assets for it, but we'll see how much of it is an asset flip. Oh, because, yeah, like, yeah. I'm not, I'm not sure. even calling it 
I'm not even saying it's an asset flip. I'm just saying even if they're it, they make a lot of new stuff, it's clear that making a sequel with the same framework and at least some of the same assets is going to be a lot easier. Your costs are going to be down. I remember having a very similar conversation. First of all, I agree with you in principle. I think that there's a shitty style of gamer that you kind of see on social media where they look at like Horizon Forbidden West and they're like, look how samey this is compared to Zero Dawn or the upcoming God of War Ragnarok or whatever, where it's like, come on, we don't need to reinvent the wheel if we're going to have like a mechanic borrowed between two two parts of the same series. And then of course yeah. like the 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 go to is always like how fantastic a game Majora's Mask is despite being, you know, very very loose about just borrowing assets from the original game and just calling the characters different names. Yeah, so literally just giving don't, the character a different name. How <laughs> we don't even have to bring up like Majora's Mask then like cuz like Elden Ring has a ton of reused yep, assets. Yep. Well, before we get too into the weeds and get too far ahead, let's just be clear about this news about like on top of this, they're working to announce the sequel in July. They, they also said that Fuga is going to be a trilogy of games, so they're already also working on the third one of these. And yep. this is separate from Fuga being one of the original titles of their trilogy of Vengeance, which had other titles in the fr- uh, in that plan. And they said, yeah, they're still working on it. They're, they're not ready to show it off, but they're they're already uh, you know running on consoles or on devices. And whatnot, but yeah, there's there's, there's a game on. that's like Cecile or Cecily, and then I forget the other one. Tokyo Ogre Gate, I believe. Yeah, and they basically said in the same interview, uh, the CEO, that yeah, these games are running, but they're he said something along the line like they are action games, so we have to make sure they're you know well polished and well balanced, and you know they're running, but we'll update we'll update you later. So yeah, turn turn based games not, don't have to be don't have to be polished. Yeah, Cyber Connect Two is very busy, games. like with that with that whole thing because like on top of that they had like. Uh, to, to, we didn't know like Fuga was going to be multiple yeah, games. To be fully 100% clear about like where this news comes from, there's a manga that's running in Famitsu. That's basically Fuga Melodies of Steel, the manga. And that's running every week and or at least every other week. And basically the CEO of CyberConnect pops in every once in a while just to give some updates. And then this update was just a more a beefier one where he kind of just was really canon. Like, yeah, we're making a sequel. Yeah, that transparency. Yeah, I, 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 I really hope that they turn things around for Fuga's like financial success because you can tell, especially recently, that they've been trying really hard. Like, um, and I feel like I feel like the second and third game might have better luck just based off the fact that, well, the first game, like if you look at the reviews and ours included, mine included, that it was very well received. So like when you're marketing a sequel to a game that's well received, you can say, Hey, play this and the first game that were really well received. And that helps. <laughs> I'm really interested to see how like, what they'll do to like uh, shake up the formula. Cause I, I really like Fuga, but there's definitely uh, like uh, a formula to that game yeah, where it gets I, like, it's very, it gets pretty repetitive and like, it's pretty easy to like kind of break the structure of that game. Like once you get a handle of like, Certain like like character combos that just like kind of single handedly you know, yeah, so, the game. So one thing I do want to mention that uh, I've never brought up before because it felt like one of those things where it's like a game has like a teaser for like an additional con- like additional content or a sequel. And it's like oh that's something they want to do. It's not something they're working on. If you got all of the gears unlocked in Fuga, there was like a teaser movie for, I guess, what turned what turned out to be the sequel. So it seems like like they already had an idea when they released the game. This isn't something that they just came up with yeah. on the fly. So it's like 
I, I think the I think the announcement came out of nowhere. I, I but I, I think for for people who actually like dug into Fuga, it's like it's like one of those like it could happen, but we'll see. Like if that ever like you know yeah. manifests. Yeah, definitely at the time felt like a oh they want to do this in the same way they want to do a Solo Robo remake. Will it happen? <laughs> who knows? Well, now they they said that they're making a sequel and a third game, unless the second game completely and utterly bombs even worse than the first one. Then who knows? But. You're hoping, uh, and, and it's tough, you know, like yeah, just it being a sequel as well. Like, uh, that people are going to be like, Oh, I didn't play the first one, and that might turn them off a sequel because it's kind of, it's kind of a weird problem when you attach a number to a game. It's like, it's pretty to common game. sequels just don't do as well as the original. I, how it is. I do wonder with the whole deal with obviously they had a scenario in mind back in july when the first game came out and they're saying oh we're going to announce the sequel in july well one thing that sticks out to me is that we waited so long for the first fuga to come out and then they like had an announcement and it's like oh yeah the game is coming out four weeks from now i'm pretty sure they're going to they're going to say oh yeah the game's out in three weeks again or they'll even maybe say oh yeah it's out now because they are they they control the publishing like for the entire series. It's their first self-published project, and maybe they think just having a shadow drop might be a better way of going about things. Who knows? Yeah, I, I think it, this would, this would be like one of those games that, like you see like a, a Nintendo Direct. And then, yeah, because that that'll have the most eyes on it at that time. Hmm. Yeah. Well, here it'll be interesting. Like. The game is not announced, according to the CEO, but we'll hear more in July. <laughs> will be announced. So, so yeah, yeah. Uh, look forward to the announcement of uh, Fugue Melodies of Steel 2, and we'll see if James is right and that it ends up releasing uh, sooner than we think. And also during this week, we had a, another letter from the producer from the team at Final Fantasy XIV following the release of Endwalker last year. So, as always, when we talk about Final Fantasy XIV, I have to hand this off to like James and Chow. Tell me about what was revealed about Patch 6.1 Newfound Adventure for Final Fantasy 14. There wasn't uh, James. Yeah, there wasn't all that much that wasn't already covered in the uh previous live letter. Um, it was more specific stuff for 6.1. Uh the Hildebrand quest line is coming back. Uh Yoshi P basically confirmed that he was bullied into making more of it. Uh if you don't play 14, you don't know what Hildebrand is. The Hildebrand quest line Correct. was something that started at the uh Till end of uh, 1.0, that was kind of just the uh, developer shit posting as the rest of the team was working on like a realm reborn. So it was like, well, we know this game is going to die anyway, so we might as well have fun with it. And then once a realm reborn happened, they were like, well, people really like this character, so let's have some like wacky quest lines with him. And we go all out with like seeing if we can literally break the facial rig system to make him do some of the most stupidest faces you'll you've ever seen. I, I like some that. of the dumbest cutscenes, but in a good way. And it's like people love it. Like the Realm Reborn version had like several trials locked behind it. The Stormblood uh, um quest line had like a trial lock behind it. We only got like a cameo in uh, Shadowbringers. We didn't get anything more than that. But uh, yep, it, it's confirmed. Hildebrand will return in patch 6.1. And uh, it, whatever antics he'll get up into, we don't know. Maybe there will be a trial lock behind it again this time. Maybe well, they already showed a picture of it. They already showed yep. him 
<laughs> in Lakeland. So, but. yeah, I mean that not too much of a surprise considering like where you find him in that cameo in Shadowbringers. But it's like, man, it's just gonna be like, it's gonna be fun to see that. Uh, the other thing they announced was that they're. And by the framing of it and the fact they announced it right around the same time as, oh, yeah, Hildebr- somehow further Hildebrand quest. Uh, Tataru Taru, uh, one of the main NPCs in the Scions and probably the uh, most powerful character in the entire series. You mean the last boss? Yeah, we're, we're all we're all terrified of her. Uh, she is also going to have a quest line. Um and the way they uh, advertise this, they have a picture of her, and she is uh, smiling very sinisterly. It's like, oh, no. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> so it's going to be interesting to see what that's about. I, I, I literally like um, the key art for this uh, uh, patch. Uh, as my friend who, who's really into 14, uh, who plays it a lot, it's like it's like the big like uh, vacation arc of this game, where there was like, so many stakes that were like you know uh, resolved at Endwalker, and it's like, after like the the biggest stakes have been like that put your that you know your character went through in Endwalker. Like just this key art is like, all right, I need to like get away from it all, walk away from it all, and like go on a vacation, like go on go on some island and just live my life or something. I, I was just thinking that the warrior life has became Ryu. He has became a hobo and just traveling to fight the strongest warriors. <laughs> the world warrior. <laughs> but yeah, it, it, I like I don't really follow fourteen that much, but like the 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 key art for this patch is pretty striking to me. I respect it. But yeah, um, besides that, um, we are getting the first uh, uh, Myths of the Realm Alliance raid with the uh, patch 6.1. And then patch 6.11, we will be getting the uh, first ultimate of uh, Final Fantasy XIV Endwalker, which is going to be very, very interesting, especially since it will be my first one. Oof. Oh, you can always try the old ones, but <laughs> nah, nah, gonna gonna raw dog it. Just gonna go right in. And by the oh, way, yeah. this, I don't I don't know if we said this, but this patch six point one is slated to launch mid April. We don't have a specific yep. date yet, which means that six point one one should be late April, since it's probably two weeks after six point one. So yeah, interesting stuff, but nothing really big after the whole like next decade stream they had a few weeks ago so yeah it's usually like their standard live letter to show you what kind of content and usually their patch cycles are always kind of the same it's like we'll add this and this but you know uh the game doesn't last long enough for for the month cycles so you kind of run out of content for like two months so this is kind of like the stuff to get all the players back in and stuff right I always feel like we have like a, a rhyming thing with Chow when he's like, "There's not enough content in Kenshin Impact. There's not enough content in Final Fantasy 14." <laughs> <laughs> well, it is a lot of content, but players run through this content really fast. Is there enough content in Elden Ring, Chow? Yes, there's too much to do. There's too much to do. There's no content in Elden Ring. Well, the Genshin players can kill me, but uh, but you know, the Elden Ring has more content than the entire freaking Genshin path cycles combined. Well, there you have it. And you know what? It's even cheaper, too. $60 is cheaper than $4,000 of whaling in Genshin. Jesus Christ, dude. Is that where you're at now? $4,000? No, no, no way. No way, man. Okay, okay, not usually, but do you know anyone who's who's reached that amount in in Genshin that you personally know? Yes, I do. I know a guy that spends his two thousand dollar paycheck every every time there's a new banner. 
So, <laughs> and every time you'll always put this message. Every time a new patch comes, it's Genshin saved. Well, he's saving it uh, single-handedly. But yeah, I'm saying, man, I if I was being fair, I think Elden Ring has more content than all the Genshin uh, patch cycles put together. Maybe not in a story perspective, but in content-wise, gameplay-wise, it's like damn. It's like, and you just only had to pay sixty dollars, and you have way more content than this game. All right, so we'll go on to some of the smaller news from the week. Well, actually, this one might not be that small. Uh, we got. Do you guys remember Digimon Survive? It was supposed to release in like yes. 2018. So Did you say so? Yeah, that's a myth. So uh, we we got a we got a kind of an update of this, and it appeared during the inaugural Digimon Con. And the way that this news was revealed, I kind of watched it from the sidelines. I was watching uh, Adam and Josh basically do like a live chat summary, like during <laughs> like I was not paying attention to it. I was paying attention to uh, to it like vicariously through their chat, and it felt really uh, like a fun time. So maybe I'll, I'll hand it off to Adam. How? How was this news revealed about Digimon Survive? No, we don't have a, de- uh, a release date, but we got some news about the development, like changing teams on this game. Okay, so Digimon Survive, if you're not aware, it's like a adventure game slash SRPG in the Digimon world. It, the last time we got like a meaningful update on it was April 2020, where they kind of like that's when they like had revealed the full cast at that point and most of the gameplay systems. And then since then, we've just kind of been waiting like, OK, when does this come out? Um, and they up to that point, they had some pretty regular updates. So it didn't like at that point, didn't feel like it was in dev hell or anything. But since it's been like two years since then or almost two years and it's been delayed in, into 2021 and then into 2022. Um, we're wondering what's going on. And so this inaugural Digimon Con, like the first one, and this is the thing they're kicking it off with. A lot of people made the assumption that, okay, they're finally going to announce a release date here. I don't think that was a bad assumption. I mean, we didn't know for sure, but it, it felt primed to be like, all right, here's like a re-reveal media blowout, everything. But that wasn't what it was. Basically, they started out by saying, um, we're sorry uh, that it's taken so long but we've had to change development teams, which is never a good sign. Uh, uh, sometimes it works out, but it's not necessarily what you want to hear. Um, and then we still don't have a release date. And then after that, they showed like a, they showed like a sort of a trailer that wasn't really gameplay footage, but showed like, here's the characters again. It was kind of like a, honestly, kind of... Missed. Keep in mind, all of this is like in stream quality. So like it's, it was the, the quality of the video itself was already... But the trailer itself was mostly just like the key arts of the characters, which yeah. again were revealed like two years ago. Um, not much actual gameplay footage. But the uh, the producer of the series, whose name is Habu, uh, I don't have his name in front of me here. Uh, uh, Kazumasa Habu. Yeah, he basically had a Q and A, kind of a pre recorded thing with like the Banda Nameco uh, PR people about like here's what's going on with the game, and parts of it were fine actually in terms of like. Uh, describing what the game is like, um, the tone of the game. And here is, you know, we, we expect it to be 70%, you know, text adventure, talking with your friends, searching for items, um, not really like an RPG, but more of an adventure game. And then 30% strategy RPG, talked a little bit about like the mechanics of like you can bring 10, 10 Digimon into the into a battle and how you use SP and uh, and Digivolving and, every, you know, all the, some of the nitty gritty. Uh, but 
no like meaningful updates in terms of like when's it going to release. They showed bits of gameplay footage here and there, but not a ton. It, it's weird because like, it got like really like somewhat borderline spoilery because like it's like oh there's like these, these there's these routes oh, yeah. in the game and like there's like these, yeah there's like new game plus dungeons. It's like what the fuck are you telling us, dude? <laughs> it was really. Um, weirdly presented honestly yeah and there are some in the q a later there were some weird like very specific questions that felt like the type of questions you get at like a at like a convention like panel like open mic uh, where, where you don't have any filtering of the questions there are some questions it's like what were the ages of the characters in this 3ds game from seven years ago it was like so uh, weirdly specific it was like like the questions are like what are the ages of the characters at digimon world whatever we digitized code or whatever like what was that game again? Oh yeah, it's a 3DS game that never got localized. That's a weird question to ask. Yeah, a weird <laughs> question. This is pre-recorded, so it's not like they were caught off guard. Uh, yeah. Well, did, they, they, anyway, did they answer? Yeah. 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 They're like, they oh, did. they're like, you know, middle schoolers, like usual. <laughs> it's just so weird. And then like they, they went on to like so after like discussing like the, uh, the like Digimon survived, like we still don't have a release date or release window on it. So, like, they, they kind of, you know, like, as Adam said, they kind of went through, like, you know, the beat by beat of, like, what this game uh, actually plays. But then they, they they went off, like, to another the general Q&A section of, like, Digimon games in general. And, like, it's like, are they going to announce another thing? It's like, no, it's just, like, it's just weird, like, questions of, like, oh, are have you guys considered, like, going back to the first Digimon world and, like, maybe a port or remaster or, like, maybe even a remake? It's like, well... Yeah. This is one of those things. This is one of those things that I. So he literally said, "We are considering making a port or remaster or remake of Digimon World." And then, like some people take that as gospel and like it's happening, and it's just like I don't know. When you're asked, like, "Will you consider it?" What are the chances you're going to say, "Nah, we'll never do it." Yeah, we, we, yeah, like, we'll never. What have they, this what have they ever said that? Like, no, we'll that'll never happen. Um, but. You know, it's possible, sure, certainly. But, you know, they see he did say, yeah, we're going to consider can we redo the first game or a Digimon World game in some form? Uh, now, one other thing that he did say was they are working on a new Digimon story. Now, they actually did say this four years ago also, which is slightly after uh, Hacker's Memory. Um, so that's not necessarily new. They still haven't announced it. They just say they're working on a Digimon story it is not a sequel to Cyber Sleuth. It, to back up a bit, there's a handful of games under the Digimon story, like Umbrella, and then the Cyber Sleuth pair is just a pair of games under that Digimon story umbrella. So there is another Digimon story game coming out that is a Digimon story game, but not a Cyber Sleuth game. Makes sense? Yeah. Um, now, they didn't say anything else about it other than, and Digimon fans will know what this means. I don't know what this means. The Digimon story game will feature the Olympios 12. Yo, let's go! (laughs) I guess they're based off of the the 12 main Olympian, like, Greek gods in Digimon form. I'm not a Digimon person. I I don't know what this means. I think the only thing I remember from them is that the the main Digimon from Digimon Tamers, like the third season of Digimon, like, is Mega Form. It's, like, part of it, I think. It's like a knight. With like a shield and like a lance, and I think I'll it's hard it. for it. <laughs> I think that's what it is. But it's like it's um, really that was really funny. But in <laughs> terms of the develop, in terms of the developers, it was being developed by a de- by a developer called Witchcraft, which off the top of my head I don't remember what they. Or did Digimon Survive? Yeah, yeah. It was it was yeah. a developer called Witchcraft, 
Um, they're no longer developing it. The new developer is Hyde, and it's H-Y-D-E. And when I look up what Hyde has done, they've done a lot of like Otome games and visual novels. Like they did Root Letter, they did Olympia Soiree, they did uh, some of the Code Realize visual novels, which... You know, they're they're more the like the the bulk development staff. Not it's bad hide. Not, it's not like the writers of those games, but the developers. But that sort of makes sense if this game is mostly like text adventure. Um, like okay, that's that seems like a fit. Now, I'm not sure how that ta- how that'll work with the the, the tactical strategy. It, it was really funny. Like, like, parts, but... Yeah, it was really funny when they're, they're describing Digimon. It's like, oh well, if you're coming to Digimon for like you know like kid friendly stuff, uh, we're sorry. Digimon Survive is aimed for adults. And it's dark. I don't know if this is just me being cynical, but I kind of feel like all Digimon fans hope that Digimon games are made for adults. Um, like, <laughs> they don't want it to be too kiddie, even though it is a kid's franchise. Yeah. Uh, but uh, they did say that the Digimon Survive will have, you know, mature themes. How, what did that actually mean? We'll see. Yeah, I'm really interested. To, like, I'm, I'm, I'm so, I'm very, it's so murky. Like, how exactly long Digimon Survive is? Because they get, they kind of give an hour count of like, it's like forty hours per route. It's like, oh wait, yeah, what? <laughs> there's multiple routes. They say it's forty hours to complete one route. Um, to complete everything, they said a hundred hours because there is a a new game plus feature that'll shorten, you know, second playthroughs. Um. But yeah, it uh, seems like it's a pretty beefy game, more of a text adventure. I know I've seen a little bit of mixed response where they're like, where people are unsure about the style of the game because it seems pretty different from I most mean, of I'll, I'll games. I'll play Triangle Strategy, and that's a text adventure for <laughs> sure. So, so uh, I, it's, it's yeah, so weird. Yeah, I, I, I never would have expected like it, it'd be more. I guess they, they this is not new for it's just been no, a long time. Not really. Oh, yeah. I actually have like the the piece that Kite wrote up uh, in either late ni- 2019 or 2020, um, where he they they've described all this before. Like it's mm-hmm. half text adventure, uh, half SRPG, but we didn't quite know like the balance. And he said it's like seven to three, like seventy percent text adventure, thirty percent. But it, it seems SRPG. to be like it seems to be like at least more dynamic or interactive because there's like a, there's like a yeah, like researcher things in the in the environment. Yeah, when they say text adventure, it's not just like dialogue, not like triangle strategy. There's a little bit of like adventure game, like seeking seeking stuff out. There's this little mode where you get out your phone and it's like a pixel hunt, I guess. Um, like searching for items, talking with the friends, and there's also you know dialogue choices and things. So, so yeah, mix of things. So. We hope to see it this year, but nothing, nothing really. Ta- they never really told us that it would at least be this year, as far as no. we know. So, uh, random guess here. Um, this is just the Digimon story game that they sort of half announced. I'm just going to randomly guess that Media Vision is working on it because we don't know what else Media Vision is working on, and the timing lines up. Yeah, Media Vision developed. The Cyber I, I wonder if that new Digimon story game is going to come out before Digimon Survive. Maybe who knows. So I mean that's but I I don't know I I don't really I can't I don't exactly know like what was the response from this Digimon Con news from like the general Digimon fans know, out yeah. there like I, to me like as an outsider I'd be like if I was a fan of that you know franchise still like I still like Digimon but I'm not like an active I, I, I think but right? I I follow a couple of people who are Digimon fans I feel like the things that people are like concerned about or hesitant on is that one. Changing developers is never well. Like I said, it sometimes works out. It's never like what you want to hear. 
like, oh yeah, we changed developer. That's good news. It's like, eh. but um, also people are a little bit hesitant on like the uh, the style of the game because it's not the style of game that Digimon has typically done. So it's like not maybe not necessarily what the Digimon fan base is looking for, but you know maybe it's something new that they will like. It's just kind of an uncertainty, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I, I I'm more than open to it. Like after like playing Cyber Sleuth for quite a bit, like. While as I was like just waiting for like new games to come out, like I'd be, you know, I'm interested to see like what they think a mature Digimon thing is like these days. Like, what is considered mature in Digimon? So most of the other news from this week is a little bit more uh, this release dates or some announcements of some indie games. So I'll just kind of go through them. Uh, one of them is an indie game that released, I believe, last year. Um, this is the game Haven, which I believe Josh has played either all or most of. Uh, not last year, I guess it, it was. Yeah, it was, I remember uh, that. I played all of it. All right, so that was uh, December 2020. So they announced a kind of a surprise update where Haven obviously is a game about two protagonists, a couple, uh, U and K, where now they've released an update where U and K will have uh, adjustable genders, so they can either both be male or both female. So just kind of a, an update that allows a game that was originally about a heterosexual couple to be uh, same-sex. So kind of a surprise, and it seems like it's been like sort of a thing that a lot of people thought was actually really neat and unexpected. I did see a few people, and this is something that I know that Josh pointed at in his review, saying like, well, this doesn't address some of the shortcomings of the some of the things that they use in the story. But it is kind yeah. of a nice... It, oh, it, is, it, is, it is weird for this to come out as like an update for the game instead of just like it being there from the start. Uh, honestly, it is it, like I'm not saying it's bad. It's bad. I think it's a, it's a great like you know thing to add to the game. But I feel like it should have been there from the start as like as like a like a, a pillar of that game to like because of like of the way it like it touts like you know being free to be who you want to be with and uh, so forth. And I think that it would have been it, they would have made a stronger case for this kind of like content if it was there from the beginning. Mm-hmm. But the, you know it's it, it's still welcome. Just you know just. Yeah, better late than never i suppose it's it's a pretty sizable update like not just you know obviously yeah. you can't just swap a new model in. they said they oh, got sure. like new voice actors to voice basically all the lines again for each mm-hmm. character as the other gender and yeah. so you know that's obviously a lot of work yeah yeah, um, yeah. like like the, the the nice thing is like this doesn't feel like a patchwork thing like they actually went in on it yeah it's honestly like a, i think you're right that this probably should have been there at the beginning. And I think that thematically would have even made, made it stronger, but it's like a really, really cool update that they didn't. That, yeah. That is, it's good that they did it. Um, mm-hmm. It's honestly like, as far as updates go, this is probably one of the best updates you could have, you know, it's complete. I've already, I've, I've seen people like jump into the game, like immediately interested in it now because they can, you know, you know, some hour like flex there. That that envision yeah. that that they can get right. Um, so and, and, yeah, it's, not, it's really it's not, cool. It's, yeah, it's not just like you know, like this is like a, a game that like is fully cooperative too. So like same sex couples mm-hmm. can like now just be hey, finally there's like a, a game that like so like you know it reinforces that and and supports that and like we can actually like you know anything that was like a barrier for that hetero uh, relationship is like now now that's gone. And there, there's cool stuff as well where like um, not just the character models. But even like some of the art in the loading screen has been like yeah, that, that, updated that was, art with was, like the with the, like the the different gender. Cool. Well, one of my favorite parts about that game was the was the loading screen art. They, they were very adorable, mm-hmm. so that's cool. 
All right, a couple of release dates for some upcoming indie games. Uh, this one is the first time we've covered it on uh, our site, and this is a Japanese indie game called Potato Flowers in Full Bloom. This is a dungeon RPG that has an aesthetic that's very much like Minecrafty, that has an isometric perspective, and it relaunches on March 10th for Switch and for PC. So this looks kind of like a really cutesy like dungeon crawler with a lot of like crafting elements. Kind of has like a pixel style to it. Uh, so we haven't covered it before. So uh, I don't know if Adam has anything more to say about this, but it's coming out and just you know it's 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 pretty much just a Japanese indie game and it's uh, published by Playism. Yeah, this is a I, I've seen this on a few like Comic Cat like game trailers and like it's always like stood out uh, whenever mm-hmm. like you know because my friends and I would usually like just like group watch them and like see see what uh, what's what's mm-hmm. uh, happening in the Japanese indie scene, indie scene and this always stood out and I really like the way it kind of incorporates like the HUD elements and battles to be like to serve as like the background in it mm-hmm. so it's like more interactive it's not just like listed at the bottom um this looks really it's so cute it's so adorable another indie game that is coming out in march is anno mutationum this is like a cyberpunk pixel aesthetic game like a 2d uh kind of action game and i thought that this actually looked really neat because it's like a it's like that two and a half d but with a pixel when i think of two and a half d i think of like Klonoa and like new Super Mario Bros where it's not always like very pretty but this one has like that sort of framework but with a pixel aesthetic and obviously with a cyberpunk like backdrop and I think the result actually ends up looking pretty neat uh, and this is coming out on March 17th for PlayStation 4 and 5 and Steam I I I, I think I was like uh, mixing this up with like another game uh, I thought because I thought this already came out but I think I, I might have been uh uh, mixing it up with one of those uh, games that was like under Sony's China China Hero Project because one of those mm. games looks this one, this one is also under that project. Oh, is it? Yeah. Okay. Okay. So it is the same game, just hasn't hit yet. It's changed a bit in terms of how it looks a little bit, but it was first revealed a while ago, and so it's you know indie games oftentimes you know just take a while to make. But right. yeah, it's it looks pretty neat. Um, it, full full disclosure, this was actually announced like more than a week ago, but I just missed it. Oh, okay. Didn't see it. <laughs> oh, but it's coming out in a few, two weeks, two weeks or so. I wonder when that, the, I remember from that uh, China Hero Project, there was that uh, AI limit that was kind yeah, of the near automata knot. Yeah, so that that I, I'm curious when we'll see more of again. Uh, and then the last indie game. No, I guess that was it. So another game that is coming out in a couple months is Neptunia Cross Center Kagura Ninja Wars is releasing for PC. Game. Well, yeah, not an indie game. Well, kind of, I don't <laughs> know. Uh, and then that is releasing for PC on May 11th. Obviously, we covered it's it. A- a lot it's got an April release first. So it came out for PlayStation 4 last year. Yep. Coming out for Switch next month and then PC after that, which this is pretty typical for Idea Factory games is they oftentimes have these like staggered platform releases. I don't know if that's just a development reality, a you know, strategy or both. I um, go strategy, you might say. <laughs> I mean, I like a release strategy, but probably the answer is probably both is that they just focus on one. And then, hey, when you when you have three different releases stagger like that, you can have three different marketing cycles. Well, this actually segues pretty well into the next thing, which is actually kind of interesting. One game that is coming out in September that typically has a staggered platform release, at least for the West, but it will not this time, is the release of the English official English version of Trails from Zero. 
So this game is coming out on September 27th for PlayStation 4, Nintendo Switch, and PC at the same time. And obviously, whether whether it was being, whether it was being <laughs> published by X Seed or by Nice America, it has been very typical for games from the Trail series to be to have staggered releases. Usually, they would release on their original, typically Sony console originally, uh, and then would have a PC version later, and then a Switch version later. Switch, obviously, yeah. like I, I know a lot of these games in Japan were originally PC games. Then so it depends on the game you're talking about. Uh, but this was the first time for in the West. That they're releasing on the Sony console, the Switch, and PC on the same day. I was going I to like, correct oh. you because you said, oh, a Sony console and PC on the same day. It's like, didn't Trolls in the Sky second chapter release on PSP and PC the same day? Then you mentioned Switch, and it's like, ah, that's technically correct. Well, yeah, it depends on the game. Like, you could talk about Trails 3rd only ever released on PC here. So it depends on the game yeah. you're talking about. But in this one, it's coming to all three on the same time, which is a first, I believe. <laughs> it should be like some... It's probably, <laughs> worth, it's probably worth noting that uh, Uro no Kiseki 2 is going to release in Japan, like, the same week. Yeah, yeah it's, like, it's, it's, it's weird. It's weird that this is like now aligning with like the Japanese release schedule on the the, the fabled September twenty seventh release date that Falcom loves. Only like eleven uh, years delayed. I feel like yeah, it's right. the dumbest move you can pull off. It's like you release it three days before Xenoblade three. What am I gonna buy? Xenoblade, obviously. Oh, oh yeah, I, I was like having a conversation with another buddy of mine that played through Kuro and basically the and we're both Xenoblade fans, huge Xenoblade fans. So eventually we came to the only correct conclusion. We're going to play Xenoblade first, because if Kuro 2 is anything like Kuro 1, we're going to have a day patch. patch. Yeah, so <laughs> just get Xenoblade done first. I'm not sure if you feel the same way, Josh, or what, but it's like, mm, that's what wrong. we can do. I, I I wonder what my buddy and I are going to come up with. Maybe I'll, I'll just have his fucking Kuro 2 stream going while I play Xenoblade <laughs> another screen. Just but do yeah. both at the same time. <laughs> but despite saying that, I'll probably end up getting Kuro, at, Kuro 2 at launch. But well, I think yeah. all, all of us here, we kind of talked about this when the when this was announced, or under the most anticipated, Like except for Adam, all of us have already played Trails from Zero, which is kind of hey, interesting. I was waiting for a native PC port. Come on! Oh, you're gonna, you're, you're gonna get a good one. Modern that one. reminds me, yeah, like uh, like uh, they had a Q and A uh, on Reddit with the Durante. Uh, you know, it's Trails from Zero focus, but obviously, uh, it's opened up to any of his previous, you know, uh, works yeah. and, and niece. And like he he said, like this will have like it, there there'll be feature parity across all the platforms that Trails from Zero will have. So like Turbo mode that'll be on the Switch version and the and the PS4 version. Uh, obviously, the PC will will have it that aligns with like you know the fan translation patch and stuff. So like uh, he 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 reassured that like he he aims to go like go above you know just well the previous work that's been done on it which is pretty cool you know Durante always always a great person when it comes to like just making making games work the best they can on their on their platforms from day one yeah I mean I, all of his I, ports are great like I the East Nine port is pretty much perfect <laughs> you know it's just yeah great. here's the here's the thing that really stood out to me from that AMA which by the way. I know we've already said it, but we're definitely going to have to like put a link to it in this uh, podcast like uh, post when it goes up or something, because it's like got a lot of really interesting like uh, replies. And I would definitely recommend reading everything. One of the major takeaways, however, is that Durante's team 
is not just doing PC ports of games anymore because Trails from Zero is their first console port. Right. Yeah. They're so the ones cool. that are doing the Switch version this time. Oh, around, that's new to me. I didn't realize that. That's cool. So that means that going forward, there's a good chance that NIS America is going to contract them to do Switch ports of games. Very cool to think about because, like, I mean, I feel <laughs> it feels weird that, like, a decade ago, Durante was just known for being the dude that released DS Fix and made the Dark Souls PC version one that people could actually recommend. And now all of a sudden it's like, man, if Durante's involved with the technical side of a game support or whatnot, you just know it's going to be amazing. And it's just like, think about how the Switch port of Geese 9 would have gone if you thought Durante's yeah, team on it. Yeah. Know? So that's it's going to be a, a new era for them. That's crazy to think about how far him and his team has gone. And I know, like, sometimes it's interesting that we there's like other PC porting houses like uh, Nixus and uh, who did the uh, who did the Microsoft Store version of Automata? It was a uh, a Polish porting house. Uh, who was it? Was it Qlock? Yeah, and like those and Qlock, I know has also worked on all the Yakuza series, and a lot of those groups also have like good. I guess precedent, good word of mouth, good like reputation. Well, Nixes was, was so good that it got acquired by Sony because Sony wants to use them for their PC ports. But so. inter- but interestingly, uh, it's and then there's like there's like other studios that have the opposite of that. Like whoever ended up doing the Horizon Zero Dawn port, I forget who did that. I think Gorilla did that. Like in terms no, it wasn't yeah. it? It, was it wasn't Gorilla. They they contracted it out. Oh, they they got an update by, from someone. Let me look this up. I remember they yeah, had no, no. I think actually yeah, Nixes. I don't remember. If I remember correctly, Nixes jumped in after they got required to help out on the PC port for Horizon Zero Dawn in the latest patches. Virtuous. That's who it was. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. And, but then, so anyways, the point that I want to get to, sorry about belaboring this point, but like right now, this is just my opinion. But if you tell me that the PC or hell, any version of the game is being con- carried out by PH3, by Durante's team, that is like the one team that like, all right, it's in great hands, like could not be in better hands. Like, I don't know if that's just, I don't know if that should be a true statement, but right now it is because I don't know they have yet to miss. Yeah, they uh, one of the things they said in the AMA is that they're um, trying to go for 1080p 60 docked for uh, Trails from Zero on Switch, uh, along with all of the upgrades that make sense for them because one of the things they're doing that's really fascinating is that they're looking at the textures for the original PSP games versus the PS4 Kai um, uh, re-release and the PC version re-release like the original PC version and they all have like yeah obviously you have the original PSP textures then you see the new textures on PC they're higher resolution but some of them made some changes to the art that don't match up with what the PSP visuals were going for. And then you look at the Kai stuff and it's even more different. And what Durante's saying their team's been trying to do is they've been trying to take a look at the higher resolution assets and the original PSP assets and get them to be closer to what the PSP assets were trying to convey by the higher resolution. They're so they're, they're looking at it more holistically and rather than yeah. just use all the Kai version stuff because that's the newest. Therefore, that's the best. Yeah. So really kind of cool. Also worth mentioning, uh, we've talked about this before, but it's worth mentioning that oh, PH3 oh. did recently, didn't they do the port for Neyuta, even though that's Japanese only right now? Yes. yes. Yeah, yeah. So like they did that port like a few months ago. 
it's not in English yet, but they did the port for Nibonichi software. And I know they're gonna they're probably gonna update it. I think they actually said that, but they did the port. Yeah. They also um Durante also mentioned this is something I've known for a while because uh a friend of mine um that maybe you know him, Josh. Well, Chow, you definitely know him, uh Jose. Uh he he's uh in a few like groups with Durante and apparently um yeah, apparently Durante actually for some of the quality of life changes that the Geofront release on PC had was in contact with some of the Geofront people so that they tried to coordinate and have like the quality of life features that were in the PC version that uh, Geofront did that he's going to do his best to make sure that they're represented or even a step above that. So yeah, that's really that, cool. That makes that makes a lot of sense, you know. That's that's some really good collaboration work and, you know, that's a lot of uh, great networking going on uh, for this upcoming release. Yeah, cuz yeah. I've seen some people jump the gun on like the Falcon Discord or something like that. They already like start freaking out that they were going to use the worst texture cuz it's a Kai version. It's like, "No, no, no. It's like we got this all sorted. We're going to use the best version that we can find." It's like, yeah, some people jumped the gun and attacked the <laughs> attacked this port too early, so it's in good hands. I think we all kind of agree on that. And I, th- I think as long as you announce early that like, hey, Durante's on it and his team's on it, then that you you you, you dispel a lot of fears. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's like, okay. Now, the very last thing on the podcast docket for today is talking about the Persona Anniversary 25th announcement for February. So no, Adam kind of had mentioned, I forget if it was in podcast or just in passing, that the Persona 25th website had a sell, basically an earmarked location for a February announcement. And we had approached the end of the month and it still kept blank. And some we actually like Muse, was it Soul Hackers? Does that count? Was it, what was it? Uh, Adam, what did it end up being? Because I honestly don't remember. Okay, so yeah, if you're not familiar, uh, for Persona 25th anniversary, they're doing like multiple events throughout the year up through autumn. Uh, they originally had seven things listed the first thing was just like a concert in anime in Japan. Uh, the second thing that they announced was the Persona 4 Arena Ultimax port, which is coming out next month. So this was like the third thing that they were going to, that they teased for February. And three. what they announced was, sorry? Number three. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so what they announced was that there was going to be like an event in Japan, basically from March to July, where you, I forget, I don't actually have it pulled up in front of me here. Um, one second. Uh, they call it like a Persona 25th festival being held at Tokorozawa Sakura Town, which is, you know, like an exposition part park where you can like go to a hotel and you have like Persona themed like rooms and events. And there's uh, there's merch and there's a bunch of merch stuff. Uh, it's only in Japan. There's a one for one scale life size statue of Thanatos, Izanagi, and Arsene ready to kill you when you go. Oh, yeah. And then they're, they're, they talked about like new pop up stores, new online things where you can get merch. And honestly, that was pretty much it um, in terms of what the announcement was. If you don't live in Japan, then this doesn't care. This doesn't matter. <laughs> this doesn't uh, matter. So um, on the Persona 25th website, let me actually let me actually double check the website again. They actually added like a new cell for like their teases. So there used to be seven total teases and now there's eight. I don't know what that means, but uh, like if they push something back or if they just literally added an announcement that they want to do. But um, the assumption is that the last announcement in this event is going to be like at least a tease for Persona 6. But there's several things coming before then. So, um, you know, speculate away. It's like a Persona 3 port, Switch port 
whatever. Let's see. One, two, three, four, five. Yep, there's still five. So five more things that they're going to announce. And they can be anything from events, concerts, games. I mean, you know, like uh, that, that's that's for that's for Japan. Like for the you like the interna- international like Persona Twenty Five website is like fewer. So. It's a, yeah, it's a simpler website. Yeah. So, but I'm going on uh, the Japan- Japanese website. So. Yeah. So who knows how many of uh, of this will apply to like the more internationally obviously a, a good chunk of those announcements already don't apply to us the only thing that applied so far is the persona 4 arena ultimax sport to, uh, was that this week also where they announced that it is getting rollback eventually uh, it, it, it was like it, yeah it's like a producer a message from the producer like I, I think on twitter that says hey uh the playstation 4 and pc versions will get uh, the rollback netcode update this summer so it won't be there at launch but at least it's getting rollback netcode nonetheless but it's only for the platforms that are not on Switch. On Switch, it's a delay-based uh, ride or die on it's that like one. <laughs> so yeah, I mean that that's but that's like kind of I don't know how what it is technically, but like it's it's so much strain on the on the Switch itself to implement rollback. Like even Nickelodeon All Stars only has a rollback for like one v one matches, and switches to a different net code if it's like more than that, I believe. And obviously, um, the Blaze Blue Cross Tag Battle rollback isn't going to come to switch only on the ps4 and pc versions so there's something anyways the next yeah. the next persona announcement is april so get your hype trains uh-huh um, what's it I gonna be not, i was not expecting a nickelodeon or all-star shout out in this podcast and that's that's my memory but well the spirit, hey. the spirit of george is strong with us <laughs> oh, i missed that goofball but yeah oh uh, who knows what April holds? Is is the April update also for the International Persona Twenty Five anniversary, or is it just for the Japanese website? I didn't actually go check. Uh, let me check. But yeah, it's, I, I think it's kind of funny that like the Switch will now have Persona Five Strikers, Persona Four Arena, and that's it. Oh, <laughs> uh, we, we we got uh the, the breaking news, hot, hot news. Uh, since we're on the topic, um. The, there's going to be a Sega TV 2022 in Taipei live stream on March 26th. They'll have Persona 4 Arena Ultimax and Soul Hackers 2 on it. Oh, cool. Ooh. But nothing yeah. else? Nothing else? No. no new Persona news? I mean, that's April. Come on. We just, we just went over the, this. Uh, the Persona March. English website just has one little question mark that says more announcements to come. So it's just oh, more vague. We just don't know. Yeah. Well, there you go. There, there, that, that might be our copium news for yeah. today yeah there you go persona 3 on pc that's it's going to be the announcement in april persona that's 3 it's going to be a persona 3 <laughs> remake it's going to have everything from the fps release from the from the psp release all in high quality with the dancing models it's going to be absolutely perfect right yeah that's no, exactly it, it's, it's going to be missing the female protagonist and everyone's going to try to rip the game apart <laughs> they can't do that they yeah. they treat the female protagonist in all the 25th they, they, they've they've been showing all six protagonists for all the merch they've been doing so that's one two two three three uh portable four and five um they've been showing all six they've been showing persona three female protagonists like in everything they do so it would really be really fucked up they did they order yeah. in a remake oh, no uh, 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 the, the new art brick is your reward nothing else well at least the new art brick is nice for all of these 25th anniversary stuff 
Well, that kind of covers it for the news from this week. Uh, ended up being quite a lot, as well as a lot of discussion on the new release of Triangle Strategy. So we will probably follow up with that in the upcoming weeks, as well as lingering thoughts on Elden Ring, as well as all the other March releases that we've kind of gone over, including Stranger of Paradise and not too long from now. Before I cut you off, Brian, you know, there is a Grand Blue Anniversary stream just about 4 a.m. today. Do you think we're going to get relinked news I don't think we are. They said they said we're going to hear from it uh, after anniversary. I don't think there's going to be any relink on it. Oh fuck! So, um, I mean, there could be. Who knows? Possible. But I, I'm definitely not going to stay up for it. <laughs> <laughs> Hell no! I'll, I'll wake up tomorrow morning. Be like, well, there was no relink news. Okay, um, okay. Well, maybe no like... relink news, but how about rollback netcode? I mean, they can bully the Persona Four uh, Arena Fighting Games. Good, good luck. Into it. Good luck. Um, well. That's a lot of copium. Um, I, I wish you the best, friend. Okay. All right. Sorry to cut you off, Brian. No, no problem. It's a good thing to call out because I haven't really been following. Uh, I only ever check in on Grand Blue Fantasy Relang when it's like, here's a new trailer finally, like every two years or three years or whatever. Every <laughs> other year. <laughs> so we'll hey, it's coming out this any... year, supposedly. Yeah. Um, you say so. Someone, someone post the image where it's going to come out in 2018. <laughs> So we have all the features up on the site that I talked about, the uh, Triangle Strategy review, the Final Fantasy 4 through 6 pixel remaster review, James's preview on Tiny Tina's Wonderlands, and Stranger of Paradise, all of the different areas that we think are being represented from the series in that game. We have a bunch of guides on Elden Ring. Alex has been smashing down almost all of those. So if you're still playing Elden Ring and you're not sure how to start or finish a side quest or certain where to find certain summons, chances are Alex has got you covered. So check on the site for that stuff. And then, of course, all the news from the Pokemon Scarlet and Violet announcement, the Melody of Steel's 2 surprise non-announcement, <laughs> announcement of announcement. And then, of course, the uh, all the release dates that we went through at the very end here and all the new trailers that accompanied those. Uh, you can find us on all the social media channels at Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and what am I missing? Twitter, of course, <laughs> that one. And we'll be back next week with another episode of the TetraCast. So until you hear from us then... Stay safe and take care. We'll talk to you later. Digimon, digital monsters, Digimon are the champions. <laughs>